Commissioner Gail Gilman. Here. Commissioner Stephen Lee. Here. The San Francisco Port Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community, and by affirming their, affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item number two is approval of minutes for the October 11th, 2022 Port Commission meeting. So moved. Second. Commissioners, there's a motion and a second to approve the minutes. We have a motion and second. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passed unanimously. The minutes of the October 11th, 2022 meeting are adopted. Item number three is public comment on executive session. We will take public comment on executive session. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on executive session. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Carl, next item, please. That's item number four, executive session. There is one conference with a real property negotiator as agendized. Commissioners, may I have a motion to go into executive session? So moved. Second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passes unanimously. We are now in closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
second. We have a motion and a second. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passes unanimously. We are now in open session. Carl? Item number six is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item number seven is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing and use of cell phones and similar sound producing devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that a member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item unless the port commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item and the commission will take in-person public comment first and then remote public comment on each item. For remote public comment, please dial 415 655-0001 and enter access code 2495-238-0579 pound. During each public comment period, our moderator will instruct you to dial star three to be added to the queue for that particular item and then an audio prompt will signal when it's your turn to comment. If you're watching this meeting on SFGov TV, there's a short broadcasting delay. So to not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced and then mute your device and listen to the meeting only through your telephone, which has no delay. That brings us to item number eight, public comment on items not listed on the agenda. We will take public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Is there any public comment in the room? Please go to the mic. Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star three if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Uh, Carl, next item, please. Item 9A is the executive director's report. Good afternoon, President Adams, Vice President Brandon, members of the commission, members of port staff and the public. I'm Elaine Forbes, the executive director. Today is election day, first and foremost. If anyone needs information on a location to vote, please go to sfelections.sfgov.org. There are also several polling places along the waterfront, and they stay open until 8 p.m. I'm going to first talk about economic recovery. Uh, we are entering the holiday season, which is just a stunning time to welcome people to the waterfront. We expect to welcome more visitors for celebrations and enjoyment over this season. We have been bringing people to the waterfront, and this is a sign of our revival and economic recovery. At the direction of the Port Commission this summer and fall, we welcome back millions of people and we renewed our commitment to providing a clean, safe, equitable, and vibrant waterfront. This waterfront activity continues to fuel city and port revenues, and we're just getting started. 
I'm happy to report that international passenger traffic at SFO, which was very slow to recover, has now accelerated and is the same as pre-pandemic domestic traffic. I'm sorry, is the same level as domestic traffic. We're looking forward to crab season this winter and the water to table fresh seafood experience that San Francisco and Bay Area residents can enjoy. Happily, recreational Dungeness crab season opened as scheduled on Saturday, November 5, 2022. The San Francisco SF port boats have reported limits of big crab on all trips so far. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife have delayed the start of commercial crab season for four years in a row. And this is because of the migration patterns of humpback whales along the California coast. We know uh, that we will enjoy that delicious crab when it is time and finally arrives uh, to the Fisherman's Wharf District. Another ass assessment of fishing grounds will be conducted around November 23rd, and we're all hoping that commercial fisheries will open as soon as possible. In more waterfront activation good news, the port has secured a new innovative partnership with Off the Grid at our cruise ship Terminal Plaza to give visitors great food options from 10 to 2 in a world-renowned open space with spectacular views. The scheduled off-the-grid uh, will be in the Terminal Plaza November 13th on Sunday and the 27th. And even more exciting news to share for our recovery. Just last Friday, Mayor Breed announced $9.6 million grant award to the port and the city from President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, and the United States Department of Transportation, DOT, uh, Secretary Buttigieg, and this is all to rebuild our own Amador Street. The grant was made possible by a bipartisan infrastructure law and additional congressional appropriations. As you know, Amador Street is the gateway to our maritime and industrial district, which provides sustainable local jobs for working people in diverse industries. And this grant highlights how we are prioritizing economic inclusion and maritime industrial activities in our recovery. The roadway will be rebuilt, and this will bolster stormwater drainage, remove toxic railroad ties, and improve surrounding landscape in the southern waterfront too. We have appreciated President Adams for attending and bringing key leadership from the federal and state uh, transportation and maritime sectors. We toured Chairman um, Daniel Mc, um, Maffey uh, from the Federal Maritime Commission and CalSTA Secretary Amishaken from the state. We have had enormous success securing state and federal funds these last two years. I would like you to learn more about our state and federal partnerships. Boris Delapine, our legislative affairs manager, will provide more of an update at this time. Good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you, Director Forbes. I'm Boris Delapine, the Port's legislative affairs manager. I'll provide a uh, update on some of the legislative priorities we pursued in calendar year 2022. In the past two years, significant attention and resources have been dedicated to ports in both Sacramento and Washington, D.C. Working with our federal lobbyists and industry partners like the California Association of Port Authorities, and along with your support, we've been successful in getting in front of policymakers to advocate for our interests and build partnerships that result in serious investments to our waterfront. As Director Forbes mentioned, we were notified last week about a federal uh, grant award for Amador Street. 
the grant was made possible by the Biden infrastructure plan. Uh, the project was funded by the Department of Transportation's Port Infrastructure Development Program, or PIDP. It's our first allocation from the infrastructure plan. The PIDP program is a recurring program that's fully funded for the next five years. So we'll be applying for more grants in the years to come. In, uh, in 2022, we had originally submitted a $4 million uh, funding request for Amador Street. That attempt was denied. Uh, following the denial, we de debriefed with DOT staff to discuss our original application's strengths and weaknesses. We incorporated their suggestions into the new application. Prior to our application submittal, we toured our facilities with um, Gus Hein. He is the Marad's director of the Mid-Pacific Gateway. And then in April, Director Forbes, Andre Coleman, and I met with uh, Polly Trottenberg, the Deputy Secretary of Transportation under Pete Buttigieg, to preview the project. Finally, uh, Speaker Pelosi endorsed uh, the project through a support letter, and that helped push our application uh, over the top. Speaker Pelosi's office has uh, delivered vital improvements and programs for our, our agency. As you know, she's been an incredible advocate along with her office. Uh, we plan to, to repeat and, and grow the advocacy strategy that we developed for Amador Street applications for those future PIDP applications. Uh, upcoming calls for projects include the, uh, the RAISE program, in December and protect in early 2023. Both of these are opportunities for uh, resilience planning to support uh, uh, along the waterfront to complement our Army Corps of Engineer program. Uh, we're also awaiting details from the uh, Environmental Protection Agency on the process and schedule to award approximately $3 billion in port electrification funding made available through the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act. Our power needs are expected uh, to grow two and a half times in the next 25 years, and this is a timely and, and key funding opportunity that we're keeping an eye on. Now turning to uh, state advocacy, the fiscal year 22-23 state budget was very good for ports in California. It includes $1.2 billion for a one-time port and freight infrastructure program administered by CalSTA to help ease supply chain congestion. We've monitored developments and announcements around this funding pot very closely. Earlier this year, we joined other California ports to first ensure that the funding for ports remained high in the state budget, but also to uh, make sure that the rules that are established around disbursement are um, beneficial to the Port of San Francisco. Along with our partners in, uh, in San Diego, we made a good case for the role that small and mid-sized ports like ours play in making our supply chain more resilient across the state. Last month, CalSTA announced uh, a call for projects with applications due in early January. We're working with Maritime and the engineering divisions to target a $40 million uh, grant submittal to support projects in our Maritime Eco-Industrial Complex. The legislature, through the budget, also adopted $140 million uh, in sea level rise funding with priority going to urban waterfronts, ports, and ecosystems. This is significant as it's the first time urban waterfronts and ports are identified as a sea level rise preference. Um, the first tranche, $37 million, will be issued by the State Coastal Conservancy this fiscal year, and the port is, is well positioned to compete for those dollars and, and, and get those dollars to secure additional federal funding. 
Uh, we, the port uh, and the budget also includes $55 million from the uh, California Energy Commission for ports to prepare for the rapid development of the offshore wind industry. AB 525 uh, was authored by former assembly member and current San Francisco City Attorney David Chu. It laid the groundwork for California's foray into the offshore wind industry. We met with representatives from the California Energy Commission last month to understand the process, make clear that we support the state in achieving their offshore wind goals. And then finally, in August, the, the State Lands Commission allocated uh, the port $2.2 million in COVID relief funding. This was the last tranche made available from the total $250 million that came from the state, uh, through, that came through the state uh, from the American Rescue Plan. In total, the Port of San Francisco received over $116 million in ARPA funding. In terms of uh, next steps, we're working on that $40 million grant application for CalSTA to support projects at Pier 80, 90, and 94. Uh, the photograph on this slide was taken during a boat tour that we provided to CalSTA Se Secretary uh, Tokes Omishakin that, that uh, Director Forbes outlined. His team were here to, to view some of the, the projects that we'll be submitting. Uh, this took place on October 24th. Thank you, President Adams, for participating in that tour. We are continuing to, to monitor developments related to offshore wind. Mike Martin, our COO, will be participating in a panel tomorrow related to port infrastructure funding at the Floating Wind USA conference that's being held in Japantown. Uh, I participate in a biweekly offshore wind uh, subcommittee facilitated by CAPA with ports and, and uh, around the state and feel like we're well positioned um, uh, on the offshore wind front. We're also working with our federal lobbyists to, to prepare for the EPA announcements around electrification and then I'm going to, I will return to the Port Commission in early 2023 to lay out our legislative priorities for the coming year. Um, in, in closing, I want to acknowledge the good work of our lobbyists, uh, CAPA, Port staff from Maritime Engineering, Finance, and the Waterfront Resilience Program, and you commissioners for, for helping us make these opportunities happen. This is a collaborative effort, and we've all worked well to position uh, the port to compete and win funding in the, in the past two years, but also going forward. Uh, this is a, a promising and exciting time for ports in California, and, and I look forward to, to providing additional updates as they become available. And I'll pass it back to Director Forbes. Thank you, Boris. That was very informative and very exciting. I now, I now would like to turn to equity. Our tenants continue to prioritize equity, and with intentional efforts, we're seeing more and more results. Um, building on the success of annual Juneteenth on the Waterfront event, we have partnered with the Human Rights Commission, Dreamkeepers Initiative, and sponsors FoodWise, um, uh, formerly Quesa, pop-ups on the plaza. This is a series of activations to support black-owned businesses at the Ferry Terminal Plaza. Um, the first event was late last month, and it was very successful. Thank you, Commissioner Brandon, for your leadership on this effort. And in our southern waterfront just this last weekend, 15 different food vendors from the Bayview were uh, featured in an activation at Pier 70, uh, where people ate, drank, and discovered incredible artisans. Um, this event uh, featured small BIPOC-owned businesses and Supervisor Walton, President Walton, was in attendance. Um, so we're excited that our partners are providing this kind of opportunity. Internally, we're focusing on Equity too. We are celebrating Native American Heritage Month and Indigenous Peoples Months 
focusing on resilience, culture, and achievements. Uh, today, Native Americans represent less than 1% of the population in California. While this population is small, representation really matters. The port is committed to combating Native invisibility and creating a diverse and equitable organization that reflects BIPOC represent representation throughout the ranks of our workforce. In celebrating the Native American history and culture as part of the port's goal uh, to create a culture of inclusion and belonging. Also, all port staff will participate in racial equity training before the end of this year. This training is foundational to our efforts to become an anti-racist organization. To resilience, last month, you know, uh, we updated you on the work we're doing with the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, with our sister agencies, uh, to uh, look at those seven draft waterfront adaptation strategies. The strategies are up for public feedback, um, and we have the goal of reaching a draft plan by the summer of 2023. A, a week ago, we hosted, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we hosted a Southern Waterfront Community Mixer at Radio Africa and Kitchen in the Bayview. It was a really great event. Uh, we can see those partnerships developing and trust building, so we're ready to engage on the draft strategies uh, for flood protection. In-person and online events will continue through mid-December. There are ongoing digital engagements happening through story maps, interactive storytelling, and surveys. In the coming months, we will once again ramp up efforts on this flood study with the Army Corps of Engineers and key city departments and communities uh, citywide working on a plan. The best ideas from the seven draft adaptation strategies will come together uh, to create the plan. As you know, while we develop our longer-term plans, we're moving ahead to advance more immediate, important interventions, including the early projects along the Embarcadero and the Living Seawall Pilot. What happens along the San Francisco waterfront impacts San, Francisco's, San Franciscans from every corner of the city, and the scale of change necessary provides a really once-in-a-generational once opportunity to get our waterfront right um, and give it to future generations in a way that's equitable and resilient and really serves everyone. Uh, now to key projects, uh, to enhance the public experience at Cruz Terminal Plaza, the San Francisco Arts Commission is inviting artists and artist teams to submit qualified uh, qualifications for an art piece. Proposals may range from a single large uh, sculpture to a series of smaller sculptures. The art will be located in Cruz Terminal Plaza near the pedestrian entrance at Lombard Street. The RFP was released October 21, and applications will be accepted until midnight on the 16th. We're excited about seeing this work. Uh, once the committee has scored, we'll be bringing the art uh, the, uh, to the Art Commission in September of 2023. This is funded by our 2012 General Obligation Bond and is part of the city's art enrichment program. So in closing, oh, finally, commissioners, consistent with the write-off policy adopted pursuant to Resolution 22-11, port staff have provided a report summarizing the account to you, um, have, which accounts have 30 days to review before we process. If you have any concerns, please, please contact me or Rebecca Benassini within 30 days, and we can schedule a future commission item to discuss. 
And in closing, don't forget Delancey Street um, tree, tree lot uh, that uses our own piers, 32, uh, 599 the Embarcadero. Delancey Street is the country's leading residential self-help organization for former substance uh, disorders, ex, uh, incarcerated individuals, and homeless and others who have hit bottom and are on the way up once they hit Delancey Street. The lot opens after Thanksgiving. And finally, finally, in the spirit of gratitude, I'd like to offer appreciation for our port staff and our port commission. We are a wonderful group of dedicated people who intentionally serve our city and residents and visitors and meet our port mission. And as we approach the end of 2022, I think it's a good time to be grateful and reflect on how much we've accomplished as an organization. Thank you, commissioners, for your continued guidance and staff for your continued innovation and hard work. There's a lot of steadfast commitment, and we're showing lots of results. Thank you. That concludes my report. Thank you, Director Forbes. Now we will take public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on the Executive Director's report. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to 3 minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. We have one caller on the line. Okay, go ahead, Jenna. Thank you. Hello, caller, are you there? Okay, I'm going to mute their line back. We have no other members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Carl, next item, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Commissioners. My fault. Commissioner Lee, any comments? Um, no, I, I think it's great. I, I'm noticing more outreach on Facebook about the tours, public tours, about the waterfront and the seawall, which is great. I'm sharing it with everybody. So keep up the good work on that. That's all I have to say. Commissioner Burton. Well, just very good work. Very good. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Um, thank you for the report and congratulations again on the federal and state investments. Um, it's foundational to get us back to where we were pre-pandemic and really excited about the plaza pop-up and the off-the-grid um, and have to see a rise in social media, but I do believe we should still be as much as we can advertising those events through all of our social media channels in any way possible so we can bring people to the waterfront. It's exciting. Thank you, Director. Vice President Brandon. Elaine, thank you so much for your report. A lot of great, exciting opportunities in front of us, and I want to thank Boris for his update and thank President. Adams for continuing to bring opportunities to the port. Um, I think we have all done a, a great job in finding funding opportunities because we have so many projects that we need to get done and so much that we need to do to, so everyone can continue to enjoy our waterfront. 
So I think the staff and the commission has done a phenomenal job in that area. And um, I'm just happy that we're doing pop-ups in certain events to activate the waterfront and to continue to bring people to the waterfront. And the waterfront is the place to be in the city. <laughs> Thank you. Director Forbes and to your staff, great job. And, and Boris, I, I think it's important that not only statewide but nationally, people are looking at the Port of San Francisco. And when you have the uh, Secretary of Transportation for the state of California to be here, Omashan, to uh, tour the port of uh, San Francisco, and because Governor Newsom, he's authorized to give out $2 billion to ports in California. That's important. California used to be the fifth largest economy in the world. We've moved up with the fourth largest economy. So we have to have the infrastructure in our ports. And then also to have uh, Chairman Dan Maffei of the Federal Maritime Commission here, that's important. Uh, he was here in Oakland, seeing the Port of Oakland. It was amazing. He's the chairman of the Federal Maritime Commission. He didn't even know there was a port here in San Francisco. And we took him out <laughs> on the water, gave him a tour of the Port of uh, San Francisco. And the only way to understand this port is you got to see it from the water side in. You can't drive by the port and see it, the depth of what we have, and, and to look waterside in to see that we had a floating power station on the water and just how interactive Pier 80, Pier 96, to take him down to our cruise terminal. I think that, that that was really something and he was both men were really excited by the fact of offshore wind. Not only on the state level, but on the federal level, billions of dollars are going into offshore wind. We have to be ready and jump when the, when the fire's hot. You know, it's funny, and I'll just say this. I remember when everybody hit canvas came out. Those that made their money was out front, did very well in this, right? And this is what's going to be happening with the offshore wind. The port of San Francisco, even though it's a boutique port, we're not LA Long Beach, well, we are perfectly positioned to do something and to basically be like that blueprint of what we want for offshore wind for all of California. And I think that's one thing about, I've always said about the Port of San Francisco and the city. San Francisco always lead. It has its own swagger and it walks to the beat of a different drummer. So I think we got to get out front on it. Let's get ahead on that pilot program and let's let ports all over the country look and go, San Francisco's leading the way. And I need to say this, <clears throat> a special shout out, not only to our media staff in the back, but I'm on this Embarcadero 5.30 every morning. I'm a road warrior running, but the maintenance department. Sometimes they never get any credit or no recognition. They don't come to this meeting here. I want to personally, on behalf of all the commissioners, acknowledge the men and women that work on the maintenance department that you never see, that clean up the waterfront, that make it safe. I want to acknowledge them personally. The one thing that I know about people, and I don't care who they are, everybody appreciates when someone appreciates them for what they do and to be acknowledged. It's no good saying nice things about people when they're dead. They can't hear you. Don't even bring them any flowers. They can't smell them. So I want to personally say to the maintenance department, thank you so much. This commission appreciates you, the work that you do. I mean, it's a crazy waterfront. You got people on bicycles flying down 
running, skateboards, scooters, and you ducking to get out the way to try to do it. But I just want to personally thank you, and definitely, you are heroes of this waterfront, and we owe you a debt of gratitude on behalf of the commission. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. Mr. President. Yes, go ahead, uh, Commissioner well, I Burke. I just uh, want to make co one comment. We should not forget in the Boris's work on these people, but we have, you know, budgeteer Phil Ting, who is control of the budget. Okay. We have the state senators that push to get the money into those state budgets. And at some point, it would be nice to, you know, recommend or recognize, I should say, uh, the work they've done. And I know personally from ben being up in Sacramento and knowing what Phil Ting does, uh, he's like a pickpocket. He's like a pickpocket. <laughs> and he picks a pretty good pocket for, for the Port of San Francisco. And we should at some point recognize that because as much as public servants do it because they're public servants, as uh, the president says, they all like a pretty good, especially public pat on the back. So thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Burton, and definitely Phil Tang. And we thank everyone that has helped this port, because we definitely cannot do it alone, whether state, city, or federal. It's definitely a team effort. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. All right, item 10 is the consent calendar. 10A requests approval of a resolution adopting findings under state urgency legislation to allow certain members of this body to attend meetings remotely during the COVID-19 emergency. 10B requests approval to enter into direct negotiations on a sole source basis with Hodling & Co. LLC for a retail use at Pier 50 Shed B. That's resolution 2252. 10C requests approval of a proposed new lease with Autodesk Inc., a Delaware corporation for approximately 30,590 square feet of office space and unimproved shed space located at Pier 9 for a term of 12 months with a one 12-month option to extend subject to the Board of Supervisors approval. That's resolution 2253. 10D requests approval to enter into an agreement to purchase non-potable water from Mission Rock Utilities for China Basin Park and other port accepted areas of the Mission Rock site at Seawall 337, bound by China Basin Channel, 3rd Street, Mission Rock Street, and San Francisco Bay. That's resolution 2254. 10E requests for retroactive authorization to modify construction contract number 2814R Crane Cove Park Building 49 rebid to extend the substantial completion date. That's resolution 2255. 10F requests authorization to accept and expend $796,000 in grant funds from the San Francisco Bay Restoration Authority for the Heron's Head Shoreline Resilience Project and approve the grant agreement subject to the Board of Supervisors approval. That's resolution 2256. 10G requests to authorize port staff to modify construction contract number 2841, Heron's Head Shoreline Resilience, to increase the authorization for the contract amount. That's resolution 2257. 10H requests approval of a proposed revision to the port's operating reserve policy. That's 2258. And 10I requests approval of the port's sanitary sur management plan recertification. That's resolution 2259. Commissioners, is there a motion to approve the consent calendar? I make a motion to approve the consent calendar. Second. We have a motion and a second.
this time, we will take public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on the consent calendar. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. We have a motion and a second. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2251 through 2259 are adopted. Carl, next item, please. Item 11A requests authorization to expand the retail sales program to include fish processing tenants at Fisherman's Wharf. Resolution 2260. Good afternoon, President Adams, Port Commissioners. Uh, Director Forbes, my name is Dominic Moreno with the Ports Maritime Division. Um, I'm joined today by Andre Coleman, the Ports Maritime Director, and Demetria Morrow, Maritime Business Development Manager. Um, today I'll be providing a informational presentation on the Ports Retail Fish Sales Program at Fisherman's Wharf and respectfully request Port Commission approval on expanding the program to include San Francisco Fisherman's Wharf seafood processors. As background, uh, commercial fishing is a defining feature of the Port of San Francisco. The commercial fishing industry is woven into the fabric of the local community. Fisherman's Wharf continues to be home to the largest concentration of fishing industry operations in Northern California. Dating back to 2017, the Ports Retail Fish Sales Program has been the result of an ongoing series of public meetings um, seeking to address the public's demand for greater access to fresh, locally sourced seafood products and expand market opportunities for fishers. As a result of these community efforts, the Port Commission authorized Port staff to establish a retail off-the-boat fish sales program to permit the sale by fishers of their catch directly to the public from their berths at the wharf. The program began with the sales limited to select species including salmon, tuna, rockfish, halibut, and certain bycatch. Thanks to strong initial success, the program was expanded to allow off-the-boat sales of Dungeness crab in 2001. To further promote local access to fresh seafood products, Port staff is now proposing to allow fish processing tenants who currently wholesale their products at Fisherman's Wharf to also participate in the retail sales market. As an enterprise department, the port relies on revenue generated from use of its property to operate and maintain all seven and a half miles of the waterfront. The port typically updates its rental rates for its properties annually to keep such rental rates at market. Such rates are compiled into the monthly rental rate schedule for Port Commission and public review uh, and approval. Port staff is proposing to amend the parameter rental rate schedule to allow commercial fishing process, excuse me, commercial fish processing tenants at Fisherman's Wharf to conduct the retail sale of seafood products and food grade flake ice directly to the public. Since the expansion of the port's off the boat retail sales program to include Dungeness Crab, 
the port has conducted extensive outreach and received significant positive feedback from the local community and industry stakeholders, requesting further expansion of, pro of the program to increase access to fresh, locally caught seafood products. The Seafood Processing Center on Pier 45 is the heart of San Francisco's commercial fishing industry, with over 30 active seafood processing operations and supporting businesses. Historically, limited to wholesale operations, fish processors distributed over 3.5 million pounds of seafood, valued at $11.5 million in 2019 alone. Seafood products are delivered for preparation and consumption throughout the local region contributing to the city's long-established seafood culinary tradition. The limitation to wholesale sales is included in each tenant lease, authorizing fish processors the ability to sell their products directly to consumers would further support that culinary tradition, promote economic recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, and offer another reason for the public to visit the wharf. Based on the positive experience with the retail off the boat sales program, Port Staff recommends the Port Commission approve Port Staff's proposal <coughs> to remove the current prohibition against retail sales of seafood by fish processor tenants and also allow them to sell flake ice to support those sales. Expanding retail sales to the Port Fish Processor tenants will greatly increase the local community's access to fresh, sustainable seafood for consumption and contribute to the wharf's attractiveness and economic viability. As a material condition of the lease, all fish processing tenants are required to comply with applicable laws and regulations associated with the processing and distribution of seafood products. Fish processors shall be required to obtain all permits and licenses issued by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife for the processing of seafood and all relevant health permits associated with retail sales of food products from the San Francisco Department of Public Health. In line with past Port Commission practice, Port staff recommends the expansion of the retail fish sales program be without additional rent increases or the requirement of participation rent by fish processing tenants. Throughout the Port's history, the Port Commission has waived or amended various standard leasing requirements for agreements concerning fishing operations to ensure a vital industrial base for the associated fishing chain of economics. These commission policies include the reduction of insurance requirements for fishing gear storage leases, waiving of wharfage charges for seafood products landed at the Port of San Francisco facilities by tenants, and the <coughs> expansion of standard form fish processing leases to 10-year terms to ensure their economic viability. Waiving the potential revenue from retail fish sales by fish processors is strongly in line with the past Port Commission's support for the fishing industry's economic health and vitality and the Port's strategic goals. Notably, because the prohibition against retail sales is included in each fish processor's tenant's lease, Port staff recommends against a pilot program or temporary lift of the prohibition because the change will require amending each fish processor's lease. To, simply, to simplify administration and based on past retail fish sale successes, Port staff is confident that the Commission can permanently remove the prohibition against retail sales by fish processors. Port staff will monitor retail sales by fish processor tenants and will retain, return to the Commission 
with an update on all retail fish sales, including both off-the-boat sales by fishers and retail sales by fish processing tenants in one year. The retail fish sales program supports two key goals of the port's strategic plan, including engagement and economic vitality. Given the potential for economic opportunity and revitalization at Fisherman's Wharf, Port staff seeks authorization from the Port Commission to expand the retail fish sales program to include fish processing tenants and fishermen's, at Fisherman's Wharf. As follow-up as follow to previous approvals, Port staff have developed and will soon deploy wayfinding signage to assist the public in locating fresh seafood opportunities around the wharf. That concludes my presentation, and I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thanks, Dominic, uh, for your presentation. Commissioners, is there a motion? So moved. Second. Okay, we have a motion and a second. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? At this time, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 11A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Um, Dominic, thank you for this report. I am so enthusiastic about this um, as someone who actually thought that our tenants could do that and wandered into the fish processing area just to realize they could not sell to the public. I, I really appreciate us moving forward with this. I think fishery is such an important part of our history for San Francisco and the poor, and I think such a vital thing for us to keep doing. Um, my only caveat is when you come back to us um, a year from now to give us those updates, I just want to sort of state this more for the record, a caveat that if we see sales double, that you come back and tell us we've jumped from 11.5 million to 25 million in fish sales, I do think that we need to revisit as a commission whether we want to change our participation um, in that, but I think giving a year to get this off the ground, to get people permitted and see really how much um, retail sales changes the, the bottom line for our processors, I think is really important. So I'm incredibly enthusiastically supportive of this item, um, tied to much, much better wayfinding and signage so that folks can know how to get there. And I look forward to hearing when the first person is in um, compliance and operations, I'll be first in line to buy some fish. Excellent, thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Burton. No comment. Okay. Commissioner Lee. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, uh, this thing is quite exciting. It's kind of like um, flower market kind of thing. Now, does the public able to go on the shed now, or is it strictly like operational only? Uh, public access is at Pier 45. So Clearly. if we grant this, um, will you do some signage outside, say, fish market? kind of like what they do at other ports and other cities? So we have developed wayfinding signage, um, pointing the public directly to, at this current time, to the off-the-boat sales. 
but we'll also include signage to the processors at Pier 45 for retail sale. Price. I mean, a big sign like on the roof, <laughs> so you could see it I'll, across I'll the street. With, because you know, the whole, the whole idea is to bring people who could see it, especially tourists from across the street, and say, "Hey, there's a fish market there." And if we're going to be doing this without a test pilot, I mean, we want the. Uh, there's going to be some kind of investment. I'm sure the health department are going to require them to do. Um, so there's, you know, we have to kind of be partners to make this work. So I was just wondering if, uh, I mean, do we have budgets, you know, to do a little signage, or is that something that we have to wait on until we see? Or We have budget commissioner for signage, and I just want to clarify that these are off-the-boat sales, um, so there's not infrastructure like a fish market. That could be a down-the-road improvement, but I just want to clarify the vision of what this looks like. So, Okay, so basically they have their existing shed they can just sell to the public. Okay, for the fish processors, Dominic, can you paint yeah, that picture? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Thank right, you. so the public would, would go to their brick-and-mortar facility. Right, into the shed. Yep, and, you know, engage with the processor themselves to purchase the fish directly from the processor. Yes, um, we have budget for signage, and we'll all work with staff to develop. Yeah, the thing is to turn it into somewhat of a you know, micro tourist attraction, you know, where you can walk in and actually shop at a different, uh, you know, uh, processor, you know, for a different kind of fish. So I think that's very good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Pretty Thank you sure. <laughs> You're done, Commissioner? I'm done. I, I'm excited about it, you know. Let's, yeah. let's go shopping. Yep. <laughs> Vice President Brandon. Dominic, thank you so much for this report. This is very exciting, and I am very supportive. Thank you. Thank you, Vice President. Not, not only am I supportive of it, but uh, Dominic, I want to publicly say that uh, you stepped up to be Andre's number two, and you've come on, and I really like the way, just one, I really heard you present today. You were very articulate, you laid everything out, and uh, I'm totally on board, and uh, appreciate you and Andre working together as a team. And this is something, I mean, this is our history here with the fishermen, and this, this is a, this is a no-brainer, right? And people have went through, everybody suffered a little bit through this COVID, so clearly we're going to, uh, we're going to support that, and I'm on board with this. Uh, we have a motion and a second. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2260 is adopted. Carl, next item, please. Thank you. Item 12A requests approval of a proposed second amendment to transit shelter advertising agreement with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and Clear Channel Outdoor Inc. to exercise the option to extend for five years through December 10th, 2027 and reduce the minimum, minimum annual guarantee and administrative and marketing payments for the extended term. Resolution 2261. Good afternoon, President Adams, Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Executive Director Forbes. My name is Kimberly Beal. I'm the Assistant, De Assistant Deputy Director with Real Estate, and I'm joined today by Kamini Law with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. And we are here today seeking approval of a proposed Second Amendment to the Transit Shelter Advertising Agreement with Clear Channel. So in 2007, Port SFMTA and Clear Channel entered into a three-party agreement where Clear Channel is to install, maintain, um, I'm sorry, install and maintain transit shelters in exchange for the right to display advertising. 
There are over 1,200 transit shelters citywide, of which there are approximately 20 within port jurisdiction. The term of the agreement was 15 years, and there is one five-year option to extend at the city's sole discretion. The term will expire December 9th of this year, and both SFMTA and port wish to exercise the option. So under the agreement, SFMTA and Port share in the advertising revenue with Clear Channel, and Clear Channel is required to pay a minimum annual guarantee, or MAG payment, based on gross revenues in addition to maintaining the transit shelters. The transit shelter, I'm sorry, the MAG payments in the contract were based on projected revenues. Since the beginning of the contract, Clear Channel has never been able to achieve the revenues anticipated. The parties agree that it's not financially feasible for Clear Channel to continue maintenance and service obligations without changes to the MAG payment payable to Port and SFMTA. And for this reason, an amendment to the option period is being requested. So this slide shows the most recent amount of advertising revenue collected annually by Clear Channel relative to the revenue collected pre-pandemic. The total actual advertising revenue decreased significantly um, from 2021-2022 compared to 2018-2019. In addition, the total projected advertising revenue, which formed the basis of the MAG even before COVID, was much higher than actual revenues. So this is showing that in 2018-2019, projected revenues were 41 million, actual was 14.1 million. After COVID, projected revenue for the 2021-2022, um, the same period was 46 million, actual revenues have only been 7.9 million. SFMTA has negotiated changes to the agreement for the option period with Clear Channel. The proposed second amendment aims to continue necessary services for transit riders while providing a stable source of revenue to Port and SFMTA. At this time, I would like to introduce Comedy Law with SFMTA who will highlight the proposed changes to the agreement. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Kamini Law, Acting Senior Manager of Budget, Financial Planning, and Analysis at the SFMTA. Uh, I'm going to go over what some of the key changes are to the contract um, for the Second Amendment to the Transit Shelter Advertising Agreement. So in the development of the FY23 and 24 SFMTA budget, we created key priority areas that we wanted to focus on. Two of those were safety and passenger experience and of the transit system. Um, and restoration of ridership is something that we've heavily focused on post-pandemic, but that doesn't just include the ride itself. It includes uh, getting passengers from point A to point B, so the start and end of a ride. And for many passengers, that begins at a rail platform or a bus shelter. So the platforms we're talking about today uh, in port jurisdiction are along the Embarcadero and they include Ferry Plaza, Washington, Broadway, Green, Greenwich, Chestnut, Bay, P 
Pier 39, Folsom, Brannan, as well as those um, on Jefferson at Powell and Taylor. And those 44, um, in those platforms, there are 44 ad spaces that are assigned specifically to the port. So since fall 2021, SFMTA and Clear Channel have been working together to improve the contract for both parties, specifically with that focus on service. So the three elements um, I'm going to talk about today are the minimum annual guarantee, maintenance of the transit shelters, and the creation of an asset management and shelter refresh program with Clear Channel. So like Kimberly said, the minimum annual guarantee has not been able to be realized in the 15 years of the first contract that we have with Clear Channel. Uh, you'll see here what the new updated mag amounts are. Uh, the total amount is $56.4 million and the port's uh, proportion of that is just about 2% or $1.4 million. I do want to say it took over seven months of strong negotiation between both parties to reach this agreement. And while it is a lower amount, uh, as I will highlight next, the maintenance services that we will be receiving from Clear Channel are significantly higher. And um, going with that theme of service improvement, we will see marked improvements there. Um, so now I'll talk about the maintenance of the transit shelters. Uh, SFMTA has also proactively hired a superintendent of transit shelters who will take the lead on handling complaints that we get from 311, from commissioners, from members of the public, from any party uh, that come through. Um, and so we are partnering together with Clear Channel to be responsible for the over 1,200 shelters and platforms that are within our jurisdiction. So a key change in the contract is that maintenance um, of the platform or of the shelters actually will go from two cleanings to three cleanings a week. So that's a 50% increase. And actually a correction to the slide is that platforms will be cleaned six days a week. So that's Monday to Saturday, they will be cleaned. Um, some other important information about maintenance. Um, Clear Channel has 48 hours to respond to any graffiti complaints that we receive. Clear Channel is also committed to increasing their maintenance staff. Right now there's 15 maintenance staff and they've committed to hiring 15 additional for a total of 30. Those folks will be involved in the cleaning and graffiti removal. Things like glass repair, structural issues or electrical issues. We work with Clear Channel's um, subcontractors to have those addressed as quickly as possible. And the final element I wanted to bring up today is the asset management and shelter refresh program. So at the SFMTA, we have a robust asset management program and we worked very closely with uh, Clear Channel to get our shelters an asset management program as well as associated capital improvement investment in those assets um, for shelter repair and replacement. So um, right now we have an independent contractor assessing each of our 1,200 locations, giving them a condition assessment score for the physical condition of each of the shelters. Um, within 30 days of the completion of that report, uh, Clear Channel must begin repairs of the highest priority shelters in, in platforms to uh, 
bring them up to an acceptable <coughs> condition. Um, I will note that that wasn't originally in the contract. The SFMTA Board of Supervisors actually changed it from six months to about two months. Uh, so it's a marked improvement that we'll get moving on this very quickly. And the capital investment that's going to go towards this is estimated at $3 million for the refresh work and then $3 million for investment in digital shelters for a total of $6 million. Um, I also want to note that Clear Channel has proactively worked to procure about a million dollars of parts and glass and other infrastructure items so that when this report is done, they can immediately begin working on it and not be affected by having to wait for supply chain or things like that to start working on these priority shelters. Uh, so on October 4th, the SFMTA Board of Directors approved the second amendment and has made recommendation that the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, as well as you, the Port Commission, also approve. To summarize again, the guarantees are $56 million in revenues, no matter what, to our agencies. It also includes a 50% increase in the daily maintenance, the creation of the asset management program, and $6 million of capital investments. It also allows us to take full ownership of all of the assets at the end of the five-year term that we're hoping to exercise here at no cost to either of our agencies. I wanted to also highlight some other investments that SFMTA has made into this program. Prior to our actions like hiring the superintendent for the transit shelters, the program was pretty much managed as a contract management um, sort of situation and now it's very street operations. We have somebody, her name is Lisa Ising, she's the new superintendent. She's out in the field every day working with staff to address these critical areas um, and make sure response times are significantly improved. Uh, we have also been coalition building with our sister agencies, including Public Works, the Police Department, Department of Homelessness, and Department of Public Health. SFMTA set aside in, their, um, in our FY23 and 24 budgets, $160,000 for work orders with DPW for street cleaning, specifically around shelters. Um, we also set aside $157,000 for a work order with the Department of Homelessness to properly address um, encampments and providing the necessary support for people who are in our shelters, and uh, close to $300,000 for a work order with the police department to provide real-time support um, to make transit shelters and platforms a safer place. Thank you. Um, got a question? Commissioner. Mr. Burke. Thank you. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we will, I'm sorry, Mr. Burke, I'm just going to do a quick summary and then we welcome your question, if that's okay, sir. Not really, but go ahead. Okay, thank you. So um, to be clear, this is not a new agreement. This is an existing agreement that was negotiated back in 2007. Um, however, we do realize that there are some you know, obvious financial challenges and therefore looking to amend the agreement. So under the second amendment, there would be a reduction in the MAG payment to port. Um, so that would be reduced 
from you know an estimated 2.4 I'm sorry 2.9 million initially under the existing agreement to 1.4 million but citywide there would be a 50% increase in the daily maintenance to the shelters as was mentioned a 6 million dollar capital investment and SFMTA would have full ownership of the assets at the end of the term where under the existing agreement they would be required to purchase those installed by Clear Channel. So entering into the Second Amendment would meet the port's strategic objectives of economic recovery because it would allow the contract to continue, which is a stable source of revenue to the port. That of equity, because the shelter refresh program will replace and or repair aging shelters and increase the level of maintenance, improving the riding experience for those dependent on public transportation. And evolution, because we'll be coordinating with other regional agencies to improve access to the waterfront. So at next steps, uh, we are recommending that the Port Commission approve the second amendment to the transit shelter advertising agreement after which SFMTA and port staff would bring the item to the Board of Supervisors for um, approval. And with that, port staff and SFMTA welcome support commissions, questions, and comments. Thank you. Mr. Commissioner Burton, you ought to order. Uh, thank you, Rebecca and Kimberly, for your presentation. Commissioners, is there a motion? I make a motion. Second. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Come on up, hit the mic, please. Anybody wants what? to come up? I know a little bit about this shit. <laughs> Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Mark Gleason here. Mark Gleason with uh, representing the Teamsters and specifically our sister local, uh, 853, which represents the workers at Clear Channel performing this work now for many decades. Uh, for so long, uh, our members have had a very difficult time with this job, and it's, as anybody can imagine, the street behavior, uh, the other damage that are done to these uh, facilities, and so on. And we're enthusiastically in supporting uh, this amendment today because it gives a chance not just to enhance the workforce and to better their conditions, but it also gives an opportunity to address so many of the issues that our members have faced at their work site. And when I say their work site, their work site is the bus shelter that they're cleaning and they're maintaining and so on. And this gives us a renewed opportunity to address their concerns. I would also uh, add, uh, just as a side note, that recently the members uh, have just re-voted uh, uh, and approved their collective bargaining agreement uh, for this unit. And uh, it did have some enhancements, and of course, we're looking forward to uh, almost doubling the workforce to not only uh, enhance the cleaning of the facilities, but also to you know, bring better uh, wages and benefits to our members as well. And finally, I'll end with this. I also believe um, that one of the workers of this uh, unit is going to be here as a public speaker uh, remotely in a moment, and we look forward to hearing from him. And he may be able to give more granular detail about what it's like to work there and what the workforce is looking forward to in the future. So, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Is there anyone else that would like to speak on this issue? Seeing none, now let's open it up for public comment. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, probably said that, okay. 
uh, at this time, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 12A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Uh, public comment is closed. Commissioner Burton, you're up first. Well, I think there was uh, testimony from one of the representatives of the workers. I forgo my thing until that. But Maybe I do it. Okay, I'm cool. Go ahead. Nobody called in. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, thought, I thought the last speaker said it. Uh, I guess to somebody, how many shelters are we talking about on port property? 20. Thank you for the question, Commissioner Burton. There are approximately 20 shelters on port property. 20. Yes, and of which there are 44 advertising panels total on those, on those shelters. And the, the master agreement... Um, we talk about all the shelters, the shelters, are, the, the port thing's a small part of the clear channel, right? Correct. So the port makes up about 2.5% of the total contract. Well, when I'm... Uh, I'm, so it's really, we're like a tail wagging the dog because the, uh, ba basically, the B clear channel contract, the port's like chump change talking about it, right? We are, yes, a very, okay. very small, small part, but we are yeah. a part of, party to the agreement. Okay, I got it. No, I'm the only reason I'm even taking this time is I was responsible for the first contract going God knows how long for the Muni before the bus shelters were even there. So basically, what what you poured and what the Board of Supervisors approved is that in what the ports were just dragging the port along. For, for the master contract, right? Which is fine. Yes, since there are there are shelters on port property right. that fall under this agreement, yes. Right. Are there any shelters on port property that don't follow this agreement? No. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Commissioner Burner, you done anything else you want to add to this? Any more questions? Anything else you want to get out? I got so many things, Mr. President. Well, at this time, no, now, I'm now, cool. now, you, you got you got the floor. So go ahead, and uh, I want to make sure you got everything you need. Go, so go ahead. You've something got, else. You've got me embarrassed. Oh. Thank you. I'm all for it. Okay. Thanks, Thank uh, Commissioner Gilman. 
Um, thank you, Kimberly, for this report. I'm very supportive of the item and do want to note again that I want to thank Clear Channel, which seems historic for its union representation in a union town. I think that's important when we have vendors like that. I just have one question, and this, must, and this is for the SFMTA. Um, I'm just curious, and it might also be a question for Clear Channel, it's pure curiosity. How are we so off the mark with projected revenue versus what really came in? I mean, it's pretty astounding when the contract was, I guess, first developed, which was before my time. They bought the bid. I'm just curious because it, it's, it's just a little striking in the SFMTA report. Um, um, I don't actually have a great answer to that. I'm going to hand it over to Bob Schmidt, the president of the Northern California region for Clear Channel, to answer that. I actually don't have an answer to that. Okay. I wasn't here when the bid was put together okay. on that. I came in in 2012, so um, good question. Um, yeah. It was overly optimistic by all parters, is all I can say. Okay. Um, and Mr. Burton alluded yeah. to his thoughts. No, I, I was just curious, pure curiosity. I support us moving forward with the item. Commissioner Lee. No, they did. Uh, I'm definitely uh, supportive of keeping it clean. I'm just curious. I see on here that uh, after the term is over, SFMTA owes all assets, but some are on port property. How come we don't get a cut of of, of some of it, um, some of those assets? It's just is that something that was part of the original agreement? Commissioners Rebecca Benestini, we've we've counseled. Um, so they will keep the transit shelters because they're the transit agency. We mm -hmm. think that makes good sense. We were just discussing that if there were a future advertising contract, of course we'd participate together and advertising revenues would be under discussion. Okay, so basically uh, it's kind of being on our property, we'll still get a cut, even though we don't take care of the of the actual structure for advertising we'd discuss but okay. they would keep the property if it were just for signage <clears throat> and you know showing the time that the bus is coming that would be their property and i'm just uh also curious um i mean i i know that uh, because of the pandemic and and current situation has it really been that extreme uh maintenance where we're bringing in double workforce. I'm all, I'm all for it because small business and everything, we need clean shelters, we need good transportation, but I'm just for my own information um, because I don't see any data of exactly how much more damage, you know, I think the public would like to know exactly what, um, you know, how much more maintenance is involved here. Really good question. I'll turn it over to the Clear Channel representatives who do the, do the work. As commonly mentioned, um, we spent a lot of time with staff working through this. So if you would take the 311 hotline numbers for the city, you would see that um, graffiti increased by 3,000%. Homeless encampments increased by 1,500%. Um, um, homeless, um, homeless activity in the shelters was up equivalent. The feces and things like that um, was up about 2,000%. So big increases in terms of what happened. So you had a you had revenue devastation uh, because of uh, the pandemic, and then the you had a significant increase based on the city's own 311. So that's part of what we're doing. And what this did um, 
was create a lot of flexibility in terms of the increase in cleanings, the increasing from five days to six days, the, um, the asset condition report um, to immediately refresh in where we refresh the shelters with new roofs, new structures, new glass panels, new seats. There's equity built into that. So in terms of equity, I heard um, um, you all talk about that. So in terms of where we're doing that, we're investing um, $3 million in new digital to drive revenue. So if revenues go up, uh, the SFMTA and the port will uh, enjoy that. So there's a lot of things that went into this. I hope oh. that answers your question. Yes. Thank you. Are you done, Commissioner Lee? Yes, I am. Uh, Commissioner Burton, you had another question. Uh, Commissioner Burton needs somebody to answer this question. You want to go ahead, Commissioner Burton. No questions, Mr. President. You want to know about the bathrooms? No. Oh, yeah. Just, no, thank you. Uh, so none, none of the port shelters also have the... Uh, Toilets, for the want of a better word? Uh, we don't have any public toilets at any of the, the platforms. We have none? We do not have any public toilets, no. There might be transit operator restrooms, but there are no public restrooms. So, in other words, they, they have eliminated um, that part of the transit advertising piece of provided public toilets? Um, I don't believe that's part of the agreement. Yeah. Correct. I believe those are through J.C. DeCoe and Public Works as opposed to the okay. transit shelters yeah, within J CA. Yeah, they're good on the toilets, right? Yes. Thank you, Mr. President. So you done, Commissioner Burton? Okay. Commissioner well, <laughs> Commissioner DeGilman, you have another question. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is a um, question for... Um, for um, Oh my God, I'm having like a senior moment. Um, SFMTA, um, I, um, I, would, I would like you at a later date to come back and give us a report back. None of our unsheltered residents should have to seek shelter in a transit terminal or in a bus shelter because they don't have a safe place to go. And I know we don't, we're not your commission, we don't oversee your budget, but I'd like to understand <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Byrne. I'd like to understand if there's encampments happening in our bus shelters along the waterfront, um, particularly because we are uh, more tourist sensitive. And I'd like to have the homeless department come and explain with the work order you put in your budget of $157,000, what they're doing for encampment resolution and outreach to those who are unsheltered on the waterfront. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. You done, Commissioner Gilman? Okay, Vice President Brandon. Kimberly, thank you so much for the report. I think a lot of my questions have been answered. Um, and homeless, I don't know. They're the, they're the uh, worst department ever. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Burton. I'm sorry. I'll have to rule you out of order. Okay, excuse me, you got the floor. Okay. Vice President Brandon. Okay, but he's right. But he's right. <laughs> <laughs> but Kimberly, thank you so much for the report. I think Commissioner Gilman asked great questions regarding the projections and, and, you know, who was doing the projecting at the time to be so off over the whole entire contract and, and with the homeless situation. And it's like, okay, what are you going to, you have a contract to clean it up, but what do you do? I mean, where do they go? Um. 
I don't actually have the answers to that because we partner with the Department of Homelessness to do the the next steps once somebody might be removed from a transit shelter. Um, Bob, do you have something to add? <laughs> So, um, Tom had mentioned that there's a, a contract administrator, Lisa Eisling, who she's not here today. Um, but what, I, two things. One, our instructions to our employees are one, are to be very um, respectful of the situation, not to try to remove anybody, not to accelerate any type of problem, to note it. Um, since um, Lisa has come on board, what, what she has done is um, when there is a situation, we call her and then um, she calls the appropriate services and then what they do is work um, through the city's guidelines um, to alleviate the situation and then we go in and clean. So we're very conscious of, um, of being appropriately behaved and compassionate with that situation. So that's how we handle it. Thank you, thank you. You know, this this contract, it, it, it's a hard one because it's such a small percentage of the overall contract, and so there's not a lot that we can really say or do. I just know that if this were before the Port Commission, we would have a very hard time approving it. Um, and it's not because we understand that revenues are down and we understand that, you know, costs have gone up. It's that just the, the, the overall projections, the, the lack of revenue, and now we're paying for all of this extra security and work orders. But again, there's not a lot we can do for 2.5% of the contract. But I'm very happy that you're increasing employment and bringing on new workers and um, hopefully helping to keep the, the city beautiful at the transit shelters. Thank you. Thank you, Vice President Brandon. Um, I guess it would be to, to Bob and Mark. It's good to see that uh, management and labor sit next to each other and you have a working relationship and I think that, that sends a different message instead of one person sitting there, sitting there. So. I really like that, and I appreciate the efforts of the brothers and sisters of the Brotherhood of Teamsters, uh, wages and benefits, and I will say things have changed, and when it's time to bring on more workers, you have to do that, and uh, sometimes workers are working understaffed and stuff like that, and they're the frontline workers that have been out there. I could, myself, uh, being the president of the IOW, I understand that, and I, so I appreciate the work, it's dangerous at times and the things that you do. So thank you. I, su I support it and I support and salute your membership. Tell them thank you. Mr. President. Yes, sir. Go ahead. J idle curiosity. Which local is it? 853. Mark, you want to come up and sit to the mics? It's got, everything's got to be on the record. Sorry about that. Actually, I will make a uh, point of privilege too. Uh, the Teamster local is Teamsters 853. It's one of the largest. Uh, Teamster local we have. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I think I'm uh, okay to say here at a public hearing, uh, the former officer was a dear friend, is a, is a dear friend of mine. So the head of that local was Roma Lois. 
Oh. And, and I appreciate uh, the uh, comments that you made. Uh, Wonderful human John. being. So anyway, uh, earlier at another meeting. So anyway, but now he's not there anymore, and uh, we have new leadership there. But thank you. That's uh, that's where our members are at at that uh, logo. Thank you. And we wish you well, Mark, in your endeavors. Give give gives you best. Best role. Okay. Okay. We have a motion and a second. All in favor, say aye. 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 Opposed. Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2261 is adopted. Call next item, please. Good luck. Thank you. Item 12B is an informational presentation regarding a proposed new memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Department on the Environment for approximately 27,502 square feet of paved land, approximately 5,766 square feet of unpaved land, and approximately 3,615 square feet of shed space at seawall lot 344 for a term of five years. Good afternoon, commissioners. Kimberly Beal, Assistant Deputy Director with Real Estate and Development, and I'm here today with an informational presentation concerning a proposed new memorandum of understanding for space at seawall lot 344. And I'm joined today by Eden Berkman, Senior Green Building Coordinator, and Alexa Kelty, Senior Zero Waste Coordinator with the San Francisco Environment Department. So DOE has been a tenant at Seawall Lot 344, specifically 701 Amador Street, for over two decades. They occupy approximately 37,000 square feet, consisting of paved land, unpaved land, and shed space. And the current MOU expired March 31st of 2015, so their current tenancy is month to month. At the site, through its operator, San Francisco Community Recyclers, DOE operates building resources, a reuse facility for salvage building materials, a key goal being, being to reduce the quantity of material being disposed of at landfill through active recycling. The property um, is vital to the city achieving its climate goals, so DOE is seeking a new MOU to ensure control of the site for continued operations, and it is also looking to issue an RFP for a new site operator. The new MOU would be for five years. Uh, the rent was recently increased, but the rent would increase again upon commencement of the new agreement with annual 3% bumps um, thereafter. The rent over the term will exceed $1 million, which is um, one of the reasons why this is being brought before the Port Commission. The MOU is subject to the Southern Waterfront Community Benefits and Beautification Policy, so 6.5% of the revenues, or approximately $80,000 $80, over the term, would be set aside for community benefits and beautification. And in addition, um, DOE, through its operator, would also focus on beautification at the site. So in developing the RFP, DOE consulted with port staff on items of concern, which could be addressed through the RFP, such as improving screening around the facility. Examples of questions staff requested be incorporated into the RFP include how will the business support the Bayview community values and priorities? Can classes be offered to the public on how to utilize reusable building materials? And explain plans to incorporate diversity, equity, and inclusion goals into the, into the business plan. 
As part of the RFP, DOE has also agreed to include a port <coughs> staff member on the selection panel. And they're also um, looking at considering a um, SAC member provided they meet contracting and expertise requirements. And they've also agreed to come back to the Port Commission and provide results of the RFP. By entering into the MOU, we believe this will meet the Port's strategic objectives of stability by managing the real estate portfolio to maximize value and income to the port and retain a tenant that can perform through economic cycles and sustainability because um, it will advance the concept of environmental stewardship through recycling and reuse efforts. And at this time, I would like to introduce Eden Berkman, Senior Green Building Coordinator with the San Francisco Environment Department to discuss citywide goals and how this site helps to meet those goals. Thank you, Kim, and good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you for this opportunity to provide some additional context on the request for proposals related to the Building Product Reuse Center at 701 Amador Street in Islas Creek. As mentioned, I'm Eden Bruckman, Senior Green Building Coordinator for the San Francisco Environment Department, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Alexa Kilty, Senior Zero Waste Coordinator. Currently, and for quite some time, the primary function of this site has been reuse retail, the temporary storage and redistribution of reclaimed building products to keep these items in use instead of being premature, prematurely disposed to landfill. Building product reuse is a form of climate action. Not only does it reduce demand on regional landfills, it also displaces the emissions that are associated with purchasing something new. There are several citywide goals and key commitments that directly correlate with this activity. As a city, we updated our goal to be carbon neutral by 2040 without the purchase of carbon offsets. San Francisco also co-led the development of the Advancing Toward Zero Waste Declaration in 2018, which targets reduction of disposal to landfill 50% by 2030 using a 2015 baseline and a material generation reduction by 15% in that same time period. This speaks to changing our consumption patterns and introducing fewer items into the use phase in the first place so they don't have to be a burden on the system. It nicely complements the clean construction declaration that we signed onto at COP26 last year, which includes life cycle impact reductions of building products and construction processes, as well as reuse themes. In December, San Francisco updated our climate action plan to capture our priorities to advance these and other critical areas. Work items related to building product reuse fall under the category of responsible production and consumption, with several program and policy goals identified for implementation by 2025. In addition to the environmental benefits of building product reuse, there are also economic and social benefits. By way of example, here is an excerpt from a recent report completed for the Environment Department that documents one comparative benefit, uh, doc, uh, the comparative benefits for three different product categories using the module of one pallet, which is a typical unit for storage. You can see that each product has a retail value that would stay in the local economy. Products coming out of existing buildings must be deconstructed and organized to be preserved. And this expands the local workforce by adding labor hours compared with demolition. 
So determining the balance of product types to reuse will also improve San Francisco's triple bottom line accounting. 701 Amador is already known as the go-to place for reuse retail in San Francisco. Thousands of people, such as small contractors, artists, and home improvement do-it-yourselfers throughout the Bay Area think of it as an institution. Building Resources has been operated by San Francisco Community Recyclers since 1980, which is more than four decades. And they've been rescuing more than 1,000 tons of building products each year at this location. This is why 701 Amador is so important and why the Environment Department wants to elevate its operations and optimize the space. We also want to leverage this opportunity to improve inventory management and beautification efforts too. So what does this mean for the Building Product Reuse Center itself? Here are some next steps. The Environment Department will continue to work in coordination with SF Port. We plan to issue the request for proposals in the near future. The RFP has already been reviewed by SF Port and we have incorporated the Port's beautification standards and workforce development expectations. Port staff will be on the review panel that is slated for spring of next year. And the goal is to issue an agreement to an on-site operator in summer 2023. We appreciate your time and I'll return it back to Kim. Thank you. So Port staff is recommending that the commission direct staff to notify the SAC of this item and that um, we bring an MOU back for um, DOE's continued use at this site for approval to an upcoming Port Commission meeting. And with that, we welcome the Port Commission's questions and comments. Thank you. Thanks, Kimberly, Rebecca, and Eden for your presentation. Now let's open it up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none. At this time, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 12B. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to 3 minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Uh, so, question. So, does the operator now wants to extend or is actually retiring? Is that why you were going out to the find a new tenant for this? Or are we expanding on this? Uh, because, you know, I really like this because I have a ton of material I wanted to to donate and I couldn't find a place so I don't know where the outreach is at the same time um, my wife's an artist and she looks for stuff like this so I'm hoping it continues but I mean are you are we looking for a new tenant is this what's happening in the future I will have Alexa answer your question <laughs> okay good afternoon commissioners I'm Alexa Kelty I'm um, the zero waste uh, coordinator at Department of the Environment um, happy to answer your question yeah um, we are at a time of transition at Department of the Environment um, there's a couple things that have happened the, the uh, mayor has issued our climate action plan which helps us really focus in on 
um, deconstruction and our building material reuse and how that impacts the climate, as Eden pointed out. So we're at a point where we're reevaluating many of our programs and we see an opportunity to optimize and make the space better in terms of the beautification, also the inventory management. And as you pointed out, you know, advertising, we should be marketing this more so folks throughout the community know this opportunity exists. So um, we, you know, the current operator has the right to, of course, ap apply to the RFP. So um, they may be in the running, but our hope is that there'll be other players that may come to the table to really improve the, the space and help us achieve our goals. So what happens in the meantime? He continues to operate until the RFP is ready to go out? That is the plan. I see. Okay. Thank you. You good, Commissioner Lee? Yes. All your questions? Okay. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Burton. No questions. No questions. Okay. Commissioner Gilman. Um, I have no questions. I just want to say it's very impressive and I'm very supportive of us recycling building materials. Thank you. Vice President Brandon. Kimberly Eden, thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I think this is a great cause and I think it has a lot of environmental benefits and I think it's something that the city needs. And I'm glad that this RFP will be focused on inventory management and beautification because that site has been an eyesore in the southern waterfront for many, many years. And I would like to recommend since our MOU will be with DOE that they are responsible for the maintenance and upkeep in inventory management with the new selected person because, you know, I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal the, what the uses and what we're doing out there, but just because you have those type of uses doesn't mean that you can bring blight and an eyesore to a community. So I really hope that um, it's, it's expressed in the RFP that that is a major concern and hopefully there will be an investment in beautification around the facility along with the inventory management. But I, I do think it is much needed here in San Francisco and I'm happy that we continue to choose it to be on port property, but there's a responsible way we can do that. So I look forward to uh, you guys coming back with the results of the RFP. And, and one other question is when will you decide if you're gonna put an SAC member on the panel? We have agreed to, to put an SAC uh, person on the panel for sure, so oh, that, that will happen. Um, the timing is a little up in the air because we're working with our city attorney right now to figure out um, how to draft this uh, document that we need to, to put together. But um, once that's through, we have the RFP issued, we will definitely um, work with the port on, on the review process. The, the port and the SAC. Oh, and the SAC, <laughs> excuse me, yes. Thank you. Kim, Kimberly and Eden. Kim, Kimberly, why don't you come up and address uh, Vice President Brandon's concerns and her comments, and I think it should be talked yes. about now. Thank you. So with regards to your concerns about DOB, DOE being responsible, that's one of the reasons why the MOU is with DO or will be with DOE as opposed to their operator, because they will be the ones responsible for making certain that the items in the MOU are carried out, be it through them 
or their operator. Thank you. I got one question. Go ahead, Commissioner Lee. Um, <clears throat> will nonprofits be able to apply to be uh, maybe a participant in this? Okay. And then people that donate building materials, they get actually some kind of tax deduction, or is there? Yes. Um, so is your question, can nonprofits apply to the RFP? Yes. Yes, bo both. Right now it's um, being drafted so for-profits and nonprofits could apply. So both, okay. Um, and then in terms of donating material, um, uh, private entities can get tax write-offs for the, their donations if it's a nonprofit running the facility. How about right now? Right now, yes. Even now, okay. Correct. Thank you. Any other commissioner comments? Um, once again, uh, great presentation, and I'm looking forward to when you uh, come back. Thanks again for this uh, collective effort. Carl, next item, please. Item 13A is an informational presentation on local business enterprise contracting activity for fiscal year uh, 21 through 22 and contracting recommendations. Hello. Uh, my name is Stephanie Tang. I'm the Contracts and Procurement Manager, and I'm here to share some information about contracting in fiscal year 2021 and 2022. I'll be covering two areas today. First is reporting the numbers, all the charts, in terms of contracts awarded, the payments, and all of that. And then the second part of the presentation will be sharing some of the improvements we're making in our contracting practices, especially as it relates to outreach, equity, and our operations. This slide shows you information about the Local Business Enterprise Program. At the start of the fiscal year, there were 1,041 small and micro LBEs in San Francisco. The general mix of minority business enterprises, MBEs, WBEs, women owner firms, and OBEs is pretty stable. Um, and as well as the mix shows that currently there are 99 African-American owned firms at the time um, at the start of the fiscal year and 169 um, Asian owned firms. The general trends in LBE availability while this was up from the previous year is pretty mixed. I checked the numbers yesterday and unfortunately the numbers are down from 1041 as of yesterday to 910. Um, this slide shows you the contracts awarded in the fiscal year and uh, I don't need to bury the lead here, we did pretty well. There were 11 contracts that were awarded, 10 which are subject to the LBE program. Of the 10 contracts, six were awarded to LBEs. The largest contract of the year was awarded to a, a black-owned firm, and three MBEs were awarded contracts. 60% of contracts subject to the program were awarded to LBEs, and 88% of the dollars were awarded to LBEs. This is pretty much unheard of in a city department. I also want to note that even the non-LBE contract, the one at the bottom, which is not subject to the LBE program, was awarded to a non-LBE firm outside of San Francisco, but it actually is a woman-owned firm. On this slide, you're gonna see payments for the year. In total, there was about 15, close to $15 million in payments with 7.4 million going to LBEs overall. All of our areas and contracting are doing pretty much on trend with as-needed contracts at 43%, construction contracts at 58%, and professional services contracts at 53%. When you look at the overall trends in terms of how we're doing over the five years, um, we are in line of how we were doing. The top chart shows uh, contracts awarded, and the bottom chart looks at, looks at the dollars that were paid. And you can see, you know, it kind of fluctuates a little bit, 
um, but we are still doing very well. In terms of some of the private developments to report on the both Pier 70 and Mission Rock, the project at Pier 70 has 62.2 million, which has been awarded to small micro and SBA LBEs. Mission Rock is at 124 million dollars. And if we look at it in total, 77 million has been awarded to MBEs over the life of these projects, with 34.5 million awarded to black-owned firms. For the balance of the presentation, I'm getting to the fun part, which is to tell you about some of the improvements and changes we've made in terms of how we're using contracting as a tool for racial diversity and economic equality. Um, a huge thank you to Tiffany Tatum on the team, who's been really instrumental these past few years to, to do our most important strategic objective, which has been to embed the work of contracting into of the port's activities and integrate contracting with the Racial Equity Action Plan, the REAP. And I'm going to share four kind of different examples of improvements we've been making um, that we believe are removing barriers and increasing opportunities to the community. For outreach, one of our REAP items has been to develop more robust outreach lists, ethnic chambers, professional groups, and we've been hosting office hours to make ourselves accessible. Um, it's also been really fun for Tiffany to have other departments call her and say, hey, how do you do this office hours? How do you make yourself accessible? And that they want to do this at other departments. So we've been developing these lists, which have been great. So now what do we, what do, we do with them? So one consideration that staff have is that we must communicate all opportunities equally, and we can't confer a competitive advantage. So the largest firms know about the opportunities because they read the staff commission agendas. And they say, on Fridays, they go online and they, look, and they look to see. So what we realized is that we could use the publication of, our, of the staff reports on Friday as basically a pre-announcement for advertisement. And what this is doing is this, this is basically giving, at a minimum, five days more advance notice of an, of an opportunity. Because when everyone's responding to an RFP, they always say there's not enough time. So five days, at a minimum, is, is very nice. For the most recent as-needed engineering services RFQ, we knew there was going to be a lag from the time we came to commission until we advertised. We then sent the staff report to our over 400 firm outreach list, and we essentially gave people a two-and-a-half-week jump on forming teams, getting to read the scope of work in the staff report, everything in the public domain that anyone could access. And I don't know if this is the reason why, but when we had our pre-proposal meeting, there was 120 plus firms who were in this meeting. This is unheard of. Even the developers don't get over 100 firms there. We, I had staff from other departments texting me during the meeting saying, where are all these people from? And I think it's in part because people had so much notice. They could plan. They could get ahead. Um, the next one I want to talk about is the check mark, which is that we know that racial equity and advancing DEI principles is something the port and the city have been working to advance. We've been sharing these values with contractors, and you're already familiar with the maintenance dredging, which is not a diverse industry, and we put an unscored question in the proposal in preparation for a best value contract. So we're slowly letting the community know these are our expectations. We've then taken this one step further with our as-needed engineering proposals, where we actually included a scored criteria to basically say, hey, do you have a DEI plan? We know it's only a point. We know this is only a start. But we think this is going to expand the influence 
about for firms to know that they need DEI plans and REAP thinking, and that this is not just going to impact the city, but also our contracting partners. And I've been working with Tony and Tiffany to be reviewing these DEI plans so that in the future, we might be able to score them, and we have a sense about what goes into a good plan. And we don't want to start from that position. We wanted to start by just asking the question. Finally, the last two changes on the right are what I would call operational and kind of bureaucratic fixes. We know a lot of respondents say they look at our documents, and that's a lot, and we tell them and we require them answer every single one of our questions. And what we do is that typically the city puts the responsibility on organizing the, res the responses on the respondent. So then they submit 100 plus pages, and then we give it to our wonderful volunteers, and then we ask them to sift through it and make sense, of, make sense of these proposals. So what we did was that the team moved our RFP responses to be form-based. This means that all proposals are organized in the exact same way. It is crystal clear where there's a narrative question. It's also crystal clear where there's a table and you just have to add your information for both primes and subs. Look, it's still not easy, but firms are not spending time and money on graphic design and layout and they can focus on the narrative and what really matters, the content that really matters. Um, we actually had interviews last week and a few respondents just in passing already gave us positive feedback on this new format. But there's two things I wanna share. One is that a panel member said that scoring this type of form-based proposal probably saved him, he said he estimated at least 25% of his time just being able to find everything to score it. But I was most delighted to hear from an LBE who said that this time around, there was far less back and forth in terms of getting on a team because they knew exactly what information the form required, so we just had to complete the form, submit it to the prime. But then, the thing I hadn't anticipated was that because the LBE knew what was required, they then could shop themselves to the other teams much more easily. They didn't have to create their entire package. They could just say, hey, these are my qualifications. These are the experiences that you want. If I'm a good fit, put me on the team. And that was a way to increase the opportunity for teaming. To be clear, this approach is more work for me <laughs> um, and my staff. And staff have to do this preparation in advance to really think through to make sure our documents are really good. But the benefits and the trade-off are that the respondents and our volunteer panel members are being able to participate in our processes more expeditiously, and that to us is kind of the public service that we think the port should be providing to our community as well as to the contracting world. Finally, the last change that we were making is using pre-qualified pools. If you ask firms about working for the city, they'll tell you that responding to our competitions takes a lot of time. We ask a lot of questions, and I, as staff, am bound to follow the code. And as I explained in my early dis earlier example, we're doing what we can to make, the exam to make responding easier. But after a selection process, all the firms that didn't win just spent their most precious resource, time and labor, for something that resulted in nothing. So what the port are doing is that when we're running RFP processes, we would like to, and we're starting to, create qualified, take everyone who had a qualified proposal and put them in a pre-qualified pool. And what this means is that if there's a similar need in the future, we don't have to all start from zero. 
Instead of everybody starting from zero, we can start from looking at people who previously responded to something similar. And of course, we're gonna follow the administrative code requirements for additional contracts. But for respondents, the contracting community and staff, this means less time with my processes of, getting, of competing for work and more time in the process of getting the services that we need and letting people work, do their business. This concludes my presentation on, on reporting the outcomes of contracting and strategy and our fixes to make contracting more equitable and all around better, we hope. Um, I welcome your questions and dialogue on what I've presented. Thanks. Thanks, Stephanie, for your presentation. Now let's open up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 13A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. At this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Uh, Commissioner Burton. I think it's terrific. I only have one question. Why was there nobody in the room that wanted to comment and why nobody on the phone wanted to comment? <laughs> I mean, I know you can't answer, but it's kind of weird. But I mean, if every bureaucracy operated the way you did, laying it out, make life easier for the bureaucrats and make life easier for the citizens. So I just want to congratulate you. Are you done, Commissioner? I'm done. Okay, thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Gilman. Um, Stephanie, I just want to say your enthusiasm for this project. It, it, it's, so, <laughs> uh, it's so obvious, and I, I just really want to um, congratulate you and your team for your efforts to really center equity in your work for something that is incredibly complex. I'm very supportive as someone who in a previous role has answered hundreds of RFPs, not for the port, but for another, other city departments. I just really want to commend you on thinking this through, on the commitment. Um, it is unheard of. Um, and really the qualifying pull, RFIs, anything we can do to simplify it. And really hope that other departments are listening um, even though I no longer respond to those RFPs, many of my colleagues, friends, and community do. Um, having standardized licks, lists and tables, et cetera, makes a huge amount of difference. We should be requiring no graphic design unless we have to for large development projects for any RFP, in my opinion. It's a waste of trees, um, time, and money. So just really want to commend you for your creativity. This is very, very, very impressive. Um, and the only thing I'd say is for future updates and reports, you know, professional services is still sort of our largest tranche where we're seeing this kind of participation. I know in the past, particularly on from an architectural perspective, we heard that many of our LBEs and uh, minority-owned businesses get the modeling work or sort of the less lucrative work. I, I would love just as an informational or update, it could be a staff report in writing, not necessarily a commission, just understand if we're seeing more kind of um, 
substantial work being done within the professional services pool for LBEs, but I, I really appreciate everything you're putting towards this and your enthusiasm really, really comes through. So thank you for your dedication and hard work. Commissioner Lee. Um, no, no real questions other than can I hire you for my next docu video documentary voiceover because you're great. I, I usually fall asleep for some of this, but you, but you're really good, you know? So congratulations and thank you so much. Thanks, Commissioner Lee. Vice President Brandon. Stephanie, thank you so much for your presentation. I think you and your team need to uh, go on a road show yeah. throughout the city departments to just show them all that you have done and all, all the great ideas that you've come up with. I mean, you, your team has just done such an amazing job over the last couple of years in just being so innovative and creative and making it easier for our LBEs and our minority vendors to want to do business with the port. And your outreach and community engagement has just been phenomenal. I mean, everybody out there talks about what a star you are, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so I just really want to thank you and let you know how much I appreciate all the work that you're putting into all of it. And I read the entire report. And I have to say, I went through it and had no questions. It was very clear. <laughs> for the first time ever. <laughs> so thank you, Stephanie. You, you should be really proud of all you and your team are accomplishing, and please keep up the great work. S Stephanie, I think my fellow commissioner said it, but this work's very meticulous, and, and I just want to say you're very humble and, and very measured, and, and just the work that you and your team have been doing. And I want to personally also want to thank Vice President Brandon, who I know, it's constantly, constantly, for 20-some <laughs> years, have been on this, right? And her fingerprints is all over this, too. And she's been an inspiration in working, and you're listening and taking all that. And for, and for Vice President Brandon to say she don't have a question, because she always <laughs> says, Mike Martin knows this, I really like it, but you know he's in trouble, right, Mike? She's that but. But anyway, Steph, great, great, great job. Uh, I always like the way when you come and you present and your enthusiasm and just uh, truthfully, the, what you have and, and, and this work here, the rest of the city could use this as a blueprint. And we're blessed to have you at the port of uh, San Francisco. So thank you. Carl, next item, please. Item 14A is an informational presentation on amendments to the 2022 Port of San Francisco Building Code. Good afternoon, President Adams, uh, Vice President Brandon, Commissioners, Director Forbes. Uh, I'm Rod Iwashita, Chief Harbor Engineer for the Port, and I'm here to present an informational item on the uh, 2022 Port Building Code amendments. But before I start, I want to, as the prime beneficiary of Stephanie's actions, I, I really do echo your, your appreciation of her as well. She is great. So thanks for the appreciation. Okay, so every three years, uh, the California Building Code is updated and allows for local jurisdictions to add amendments to the state code. Uh, the combination of the California Building Code and the port amendments uh, make up the port building code. And historically, the, this process has been, of adding the port amendments to the building code, has been a two-step process with an informational 
um, presentation at one port commission meeting and then a uh, an action item to approve the, the port amendments at the next commission meeting. Um, so today's informational presentation will summarize the notable port amendments to the 2022 California Building Code. There are other port amendments, but they are mostly editorial in nature. Um, and as the slide says, the local <coughs> amendments must be adopted by the end of 2022. Uh, so we'll be back with an action item um, next month, um, hopefully on the consent calendar. Um, the port amendments um, uh, address t these two port strategic objectives. Um, I had a whole bunch of text here, but I, I think, um, you know, given the time, I can skip this. I will say there is a typo uh, in the slide. I apologize. It's we are incorporating the 2022 Green Building Code amendments or the Green Building Codes uh, into the Port Building Code. Okay. So. Um, down to the um, amendments of note. Um, the first amendment of note is um, uh, in including requirements for floating marine structures uh, not regulated by the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, this amendment clarifies the jurisdiction of the port to include floating marine vessels that are not regulated by the Coast Guard, so non-self-powered vessels. And we've run into this um, in a few locations along the waterfront in the, the past uh, couple of years. Um, the second item is the expansion of the site permit regulations and timelines. This amendment clarifies the port use of um, site permits and aligns the process uh, with the same process that's used by the Department of Building Inspection. Um, and it allows the, the permit process to move forward <coughs> when certain disciplines such as site electrical, mechanical, piping uh, design lag behind the overall site design process. Uh, and the third item is the insertion of special inspection requirements during aluminum welding fabrication. Uh, this amendment clarifies the requirements for special inspections during the fabrication of aluminum elements. Uh, the California Building Code is um, ambiguous in its requirements for inspections for fabrications using aluminum. Um, along the waterfront, uh, this construction material is commonly used for gangways and ramps and other, other fabrications due to its lightweight and resistance to marine-based corrosion. And, uh, that, is, that concludes my presentation. Um, Chief Building Inspector Neil Friedman and I are available to answer any questions, and, and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Rod, for your presentation. Now let's open up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? At this time, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 14A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to 3 minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment.
this time, there are no members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment. Thanks, Jenica. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Um, I have no, no questions. Okay. Commissioner Burton. No questions, sir. Okay. Vice President Brent. Yes. Rod, thank you so much for the report. Um, and I have no questions. I'm very supportive of the amendment. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Gilman. Thank you so much for the update, and I have no questions. <clears throat> Thanks, Rod, uh, for the presentation. I don't have any questions. Uh, very well laid out. Uh, appreciate it. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. <clears throat> item 15A is an informational presentation and update on recent Central Embarcadero Quick Build traffic safety and other changes between Mission Street and Broadway per the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency's Embarcadero Enhancement Program in support of the city's Vision Zero traffic safety goals. Good afternoon, commissioners. President Adams, fellow commissioners, Dan Hodap with the Ports Planning and Environment Division. Thank you for having us back yet again. It's been about a year since we've been back. And, um, we are here to provide an update as to the progress that's been made, complete with evaluation studies and some further tests are going to be coming. The bulk of the presentation will be by Casey Hildreth of the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Authority. And then I will come back and um, talk about the Embarcadero Promenade, some of the things we've done there, and some of the improvements on it to conclude the presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Dan, for the introduction. And Director Forbes. President Adams, Vice President Brandon, esteemed commissioners, it's great to be back in person with you all. Casey Hildreth, uh, team leader and principal planner with the SFMTA, to talk to you about the results of our evaluation of the Central Embarcadero Quick Build Project. Um, the Central Embarcadero Project, the Quick Build Project, comes on the heels of a, some smaller Quick Build safety projects and is part of our overall Embarcadero Enhancement Program focused on improving safety along the full extent of the Embarcadero for all users. Um, so while we are focused uh, in the central portion, we always keep in mind the full extent of the waterfront since everything is so connected. A uh, couple of things I want to point out just for context. Um, you know, the same team, myself and others that are working on the enhancement program have also been working with port staff on the waterfront uh, resiliency program. I know you got a wonderful update a couple weeks ago. Uh, so just making sure that we're thinking about the long-term and short-term and doing what we can to provide a pathway uh, from one to the other. And then while my team does not regulate the uh, shared scooters program, uh, my colleagues do, and so as, as issues arise around shared mobility, uh, we certainly do share information and communicate um, and so work together on that. Um, the Central Embarcadero project was substantially completed uh, earlier this year in February. Um, as part of celebrating that milestone, uh, as well as um, getting out some of the messaging that we knew was important around uh, using the bikeway properly, but also um, introducing the regulations around uh, no e-bikes or e-scooters along the waterfront, we did release a couple of videos. Uh, we're not going to show them tonight um, uh, because I, my understanding is it won't come through. 
but we did, uh, again, promote that messaging ahead of, of more um, signs along the waterfront and then just celebrated the, the, the project. So I do encourage folks to visit that link if you can on our YouTube page. Uh, so the project was open um, and, and open for use in February, but by no means were we done. Throughout the, this year, we've been uh, tidying up and adding to this project. So since February, we added curb ramps to make sure that our loading zones were accessible uh, at, at the request of uh, folks uh, from the farmer's market and others. Uh, we really um, beefed up our bikeway design early on. Actually, like during implementation, we decided to uh, add more green, add more posts. Uh, and then, of course, uh, finally, once our vendor delivered signs, we in, uh, installed promenade safety signs encouraging proper bikeway usage, uh, as well as the reinforcing the regulation of e-bikes and e-scooters <coughs> along the promenade. We're still not done. We have some, uh, some bike parking proposals to work with staff and implement. Uh, my colleagues in traffic operations will be conducting a full assessment of signal timing along the <coughs> corridor uh, this coming year. And we do uh, plan on uh, implementing a field test at Broadway, which we'll talk about more extensively in a moment. Uh, to the evaluation. Um, so our quick build program, Vision Zero program, evaluates a lot of our projects so that we're consistently understanding <laughs> where we can do better and what's working and what's not. Um, so this slide is just pointing out that we do have a solid framework to work from. Uh, a lot of our projects will look at a couple of metrics. Uh, our project looked at 13, so we tried to be as exhaustive as we could. Um, I have a, a number of slides going through those those metrics. I will be selective and quick uh, for the sake of time, but certainly we can come back to anything that uh, you have questions on. Uh, but to get to, I think, our main goal, our, what did this project do, what we said it was intended to do, which was really provide a safe facility for those that are biking and scootering, but also relieve some of the pressure off of the promenade uh, and get those wheeled devices into that bikeway. Uh, we looked at uh, from before and after the project and uh, even after the promenade safety signs went in, uh, we saw rapid increases in the utilization of the bikeway. So with this slide showing that at the end of the day, of all the people that are on a wheeled device, we're seeing between 78% and 94% usage of that bikeway, which means we are are confident and are excited about the, the results that we're seeing from our project. Um, in terms of the, the overall number, not, not just the overall number of wheel device users, but the speed at which they're traveling, what we also found was, was those that are choosing to remain on the promenade are, doing, are the, those that are traveling the most slowly. Uh, also a very encouraging sign. And overall, while we know that, that traffic volumes are, are depressed still for, uh, due to COVID, uh, we're seeing uh, pre-COVID level uh, bike and scooter numbers. So we do, we do see this as a sign that this facility is attracting new uses and new trips <laughs> along the corridor for recreation and other uses. Other metrics looked at behavior uh, within the bikeway, yielding to pedestrians at intersections uh, and, and, and uh, loading zone crosswalks. Uh, no real concerns there, but we do see some opportunities to make uh, modest improvements with our a follow-up capital project in this area. And I similarly uh, conclude that drivers uh, trying to get into peer driveways and crossing the bikeway, uh, we also didn't see too many issues, but potential room for improvement with upgrades. Uh, in terms of loading, are, are people able to access the load zones uh, properly? Uh, are they staying out of the bike lane? The answer is clearly yes. And then, um, 
in terms of providing flexibility for the farmers market at the ferry building in particular. Uh, we think that is uh, working well, uh, and we do want to acknowledge that food-wise, the operator of the farmer's market uh, does require them to do a little bit of extra lifting uh, to, to place some cones out and sort of shift the bikeway when needed so that their vendors can uh, easily uh, access the promenade and load and unload their goods. Um, and, again, again, a lot of this will be uh, information that we're feeding into our uh, plans for uh, the larger capital project. Uh, we didn't see any trends related to uh, speeds that we could, uh, uh, vehicle speeds that we could um, point to. And in terms of travel time, uh, you know, we did take away one northbound lane um, to repurpose for the bikeway. We did expect some increase in travel time uh, along the segment. We saw less than we were expecting in large part uh, due to the, the depressed volumes overall. Um, I think to get to perhaps the one met the one metric that we uh, did not see positive indications was uh, the performance of the Broadway intersection. This is where we have a pinch point, so we did have to make a trade-off and had a lengthy exchange last year about how to best do that. Um, we decided to leave two northbound through lanes, uh, reduce the left turn lanes from two to one, and that has resulted in significant additional, you know, consistent and substantial delay for that northbound left turn movement onto Broadway. Um, we do see this as problematic, um, but acceptable if this has to be the result, but we did additional analysis um, looking at, you know, what would happen if we maintained one northbound lane and added back that second turn lane. Um, what, we found, what we think is that we could really move more people through that intersection overall, including drivers. We think we can get more people through that intersection turning left while still really um, minimizing the delay for northbound travel. Um, and the reason we think that's possible is that essentially there's just so much more green time given to that northbound, uh, um, northbound direction as opposed to the left turn. So while we do ex would expect backups to occur, uh, we think each and every cycle, for the most part, those, those backups are going to clear the intersection so that, for, for the most part, northbound travel should not see a substantial change from current conditions, but we'd be essentially doubling the capacity of that left turn onto Broadway um, and, and believe that's important to, again, move the most people through the intersection safely. <clears throat> and again, here's some slides with more details, but I will skip those details and come back to it during the Q&A if necessary. Um, Again, context for this is that we are uh, picking up the design for, well, one, I think the evaluation points to this is a, a really good investment. We should uh, try and do as mu more of this if we can. So while we have run out of quick build opportunities for the most part to extend this two-way bikeway, we are focused on extending it southward towards the ballpark. Uh, here, we, we aren't talking about travel lane reductions. It's mostly about the combination of, of civil changes, narrowing the median, uh, 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 absorbing the northbound bike lane and then adjusting the curb of the promenade to achieve the desired uh, um, cross-section that we need to extend that protected bikeway south. Um, but just giving you some examples of the conditions at Harrison in particular, we know that there's an early uh, seawall project. This is a very constrained location as well. So we have a lot, a lot of work to do on the capital side to understand the details here, but uh, we're really bolstered by the results of the evaluation of the quick build. 
So the evaluation uh, results that, I'm sh that we shared today uh, were shared with our uh, ad hoc advisory groups, um, stakeholder advisory group in September, as well as the, the port's NAC. Um, we do, again, hope to feed the, the, feedback that, the, the, the feedback that we get from stakeholders, as well as our evaluation, into our capital project design. And that uh, we, we are proposing to test the condition at Broadway early next year. Uh, again, uh, picking a moment of the calendar year that's that's least disruptive to uh, tourism and port tenants. Uh, and then we do think come the springtime, we'd be able to really understand, is this a viable design? Do we want to continue to monitor it? Or is it something that doesn't work and we can kind of close the book on that question? To finish up, uh, in terms of the Embarcadero Enhancement Program, just want to point out that um, with our recent changes and with uh, the successful grant application for our capital project, we represent about $10 million of investment in safety just within central Embarcadero. So hopefully we are delivering impacts, positive impacts and value to the port. Uh, and that's just one of three segments that we hope to tackle in the years ahead to improve safety along the Embarcadero. So with that, I will believe turn it over to Dan to finish up the presentation. Thank you, Casey. Again, Dan Hodap with the Ports Planning Environment Division here. Previously, the Port Commission expressed concern over safety on the Embarcadero Promenade and requested port staff return with suggestions on how conflicts on the promenade could be further reduced between pedestrians, cyclists, and people riding scooters and other electric wheeled devices. As described here today, SFMTA has found that a significant amount of bicycle and scooter riders are moving off of the promenade and into the new bikeway, particularly during times of heavier use, and that the majority of people still using wheeled devices on the promenade tend to ride more slowly than those in the protected bikeway. These improvements in behavior could be credited to the new bikeway, the promenade signage, and public messaging, and the efforts of SFMTA. Further compliance will likely occur when other sections of the Embarcadero also receive a protected bikeway in these other associated improvements, and when requirements for technology to detect and prohibit promenade riding for scooters is implemented. As you see in this slide, some of the signage that's been put up on the promenade, um, reminding people that e-bikes and e-scooters are not permitted, and that is by uh, the Port Park Code. No motorized vehicles on there. The code specifically does allow bicycles to use the promenade at this time. Um, and the commission looked at, we presented previously options for the commission to pursue regarding this, changes in the Port Code, and which require changes in the city code, and there are some other ways this could be implemented. It may very well involve uh, um, action by the Board of Supervisors as well. We would be doing public outreach on it, of course, and, um, um, and in doing so, some of the ideas brought forward were to bring it more in line with what city sidewalks are, which if you are 13 or older, you're not allowed to ride a bicycle on city sidewalks. The promenade's a little different than a city sidewalk. It's also a recreation space, an uninterrupted uh, two-mile-long um, uh, recreation facility that we've worked, that 
the commission and staff have worked hard to keep clear of crossing vehicles or minimize the impacts on them. So we have families riding together. So um, a comment that's come up a few times in the public meetings and even internally in staff is how do we allow families to ride with kids under 12 if you change the code? So it's just an interesting piece to put into the equation. Public complaints about scooters riding on city sidewalks recently led SFMTA to consider increasing the fine for sidewalk riding from $150 to $500 and, um, and to require sidewalk detection on scooters that slow the devices to a walking speed when they are on the promenade. Sidewalk detection technology is currently in development and could be deployed within the coming year. On October 18th, the Board of Supervisors passed a resolution urging SFMTA to increase fines, as described, for illegal parking of scooters and for riding on city sidewalks and promenades, increase those to $500. The resolution also urged SFMTA to immediately require anti-sidewalk riding technology on all scooters. On October 25th, SFMTA <clears throat> submitted a letter to the three scooter companies contracted by the city saying they must create geofencing restrictions that would prohibit users from leaving scooters parked on the Embarcadero's waterfront sidewalks or waterfront um, promenade as we know it. Um, and this was from specifically from piers 14 to 45. Uh, riders are also restricted from parking e-scooters on sidewalks along the entire five block stretch of Jefferson Street. The three companies which operate e-scooters will be required to keep the geofencing restrictions in place for at least the month of November, and SFMTA could extend the date. The new restrictions won't apply to private e-scooters, uh, only to the contracted companies. With all this, uh, um, regarding where we go next with this, SFMTA and the port staff recommend continuing the quick build public outreach described by Casey a few minutes ago and the outreach and awareness campaign, the project evaluation and the research and for project modifications that are ongoing through 2023 and perf to perform a field test at Broadway with two left turn lanes and one through lane for the reasons that were outlined there. Uh, which is estimated to reduce overall vehicle delay through that intersection. Regarding the promenade, given the increase of motorized scooter and cyclist use of the new protected bikeway adjacent to the roadway, and actions by the SFMTA to restrict parking and speed on the Embarcadero promenade, uh, on the Embarcadero and Jefferson Street, port staff recommended continuing to observe and evaluate whether the improvements and actions adequately resolve conflicts on the promenade or whether other changes or regulations should be pursued. I don't believe we, I don't think we believe we'll ever get 100% compliance, but the compliance numbers have gone significantly up. Further changes could include constructing other sections of the protected bike lane along the Embarcadero and changes to port and or city codes. Port staff will provide options for further actions if the Port Commission deems necessary. And that concludes our presentation. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Dan and Casey. Really good um, for your presentation. Now let's open up for public comment. Is there any public comment in the room? Is there any public comment? Seeing none, Jenica will provide instructions now for remote participants. Thank you, President Adams. 
At this time, we will open the queue for anyone on the phone who would like to make public comment on item 15A. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. The system will let you know when your line is open. Others will wait on mute until their line is open. Comments will be limited to three minutes per person. The queue is now open. Please dial star 3 if you wish to make public comment. We do have seven callers on the line so far. So far. So let me open up that first line now. Sounds good, Jen. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. Mark Gleason here again with the Teamsters. Uh, we just we do want to weigh in. We have members that work at the Pier 39 garage, and there are other organized units on Pier 39 as well. And uh, we've partnered with management on their concern about uh, the plan for uh, of, uh, the bike lanes to be estimated now. We're just coming out of the pandemic, bringing the economy back, and we support the position to have this study done further into the summertime when a real uh, estimation of how this is going to affect business uh, can be taken place. So our position is to have it studied in the summer. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your support. All right. Thanks, Mark. Next. Opening the next line. Thank you. Hi there. Um, thank you for the opportunity to comment. Uh, my name is um, Alejandro Renato. Um, the manager for Stop Legal Accessories. Um, we, we're a small retail business. We have two different storefronts located on P39 and another one further up north on, on Jefferson Street. Um, yeah, and we simply wanted to call into, I guess, echo the opinion of, of um, the previous speaker um, and, I guess, express our concern with the proposed removal of the northbound lane um, on the Embarcadero. Um, you know, we think the uncertainty in the impacts of the proposal and the, and the logistic ramifications that a measure like this can have are, are pretty big. Um, and ultimately, we feel that a decision like this needs further analysis and more studies before any actions um, are taken. Now, obviously, I can only speak for, for our business, but um, I'm sure the same goes for, for other merchants on, on Pier 39. Um, you know, we're only just recovering from the pandemic, right, which has been one of the worst business streaks in decades. And, and we're already facing a bunch of different transport issues with our staff complaining to us on a, on a constant basis about how hard they find it to get to work because the streetcar and the bus services still haven't been restored by Muni yet. So taking all this into consideration and that, and that I guess the Embarcadero is really one of the only city's major north-south artery for visitors to get to the wharf, um, it doesn't seem like the best time to, to make traffic worse or to make the decision quickly. So, um, you know, removing a lane is inevitably going to increase congestion. Um, all we're saying is that we should dig deeper to fully understand the economic threat that this poses to the multitude of businesses that work on on the northern waterfront. Um, in our eyes, acting without further data, um, you know, could, could, could be severely detrimental to, to the operations of, of countless restaurants and storefronts. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Opening the next line now. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is David Burby. I'm with uh, Tepino's Restaurant on Fishman's Wharf and five other retail stores. We've been operating for over 35 years in our locations. Everyone knows the last three years have been very, very challenging. I keep hearing staff talking about configuring the Broadway pinch point and making it 
more efficient in this way and that way than it could be, though it should be. Uh, well, we can, we all know what it does. It backs up traffic, it chokes off our businesses. We're barely making it as it is. We need to have these two lanes open all the time. This proposal keeps coming up like some killer weed. And we can't continue to, to pursue this kind of, these kind of actions. We, we all know it's going to end up with the last nail in the coffin for our businesses. So my proposal is that we start thinking about essentially disavowing this, this pinch of lanes and, and deletions of northbound lanes to the last remaining businesses on Fisherman's Wharf. Thank you. Thank you. Next. Opening the next line. Hi, my, my name is John Canazaro, and I uh, am a property owner down in Fisherman's Wharf. Um, and we've talked with uh, all of our tenants as well, as well as other merchants in the area. Um, as you guys know, the Embarcadero is the main way that people from the East Bay, the Peninsula, and the South Bay access Fisherman's Wharf. And the wharf simply cannot survive. Another lane of traffic is removed um, from northbound Embarcadero. Uh, we're still far below our 2019 sales, traffic counts, visitor counts, and 2019 was not a good year for us. Um, currently, the large majority of the visitors that are visiting us are coming from the Bay Area. We're still way, way below um, international, um, even in, even domestic from around the, the country uh, visitor counts. Um, the latest removal of the lane has increased the time it takes to get to the wharf. Uh, and again, this is with us nowhere near pre-pandemic traffic counts. Uh, we've lost countless restaurants and retailers because of the pandemic, uh, and we just can't afford um, to pinch our main artery um, because this would obviously increase the amount of time it, gets, it takes to get to the wharf. Um, it would be a detriment to people returning. Uh, we need to make it easier uh, for people to get to the wharf, not more difficult. Um, there's no shortage of bicycle lanes around the city, uh, and I'm, I'm not aware of any uh, issues of congestion uh, in those bicycle lanes. Uh, the wharf is a huge economic driver for the city, and cutting off another lane of traffic uh, to us will be basically the definition of kicking us while we're down. Uh, so just to summarize, uh, the wharf needs all the help we can get to bounce back from the pandemic. Um, I don't feel there's an additional need uh, for more bike lanes. Um, we should be looking at how to increase uh, uh, lanes of traffic along the Barcadero so people can easier access the wharf. Uh, so I urge the commission, uh, at the very least, to keep the Barcadero as it is uh, and to personally consult with the businesses in the wharf and the northern waterfront on how uh, you can help us back uh, bounce back from the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have seven more callers on the line, and uh -huh. I'll open the next line. Christ. Hi, my name is Dawn Smith. I'm also an owner of a small business at Pier 39. I'm very concerned about the negative effects closing a lane of traffic would do to the freedom of movement across the Embarcadero for automobile traffic, which is our main access uh, use to get to our property, to Fisherman's Wharf, to North Beach, and also to the marina. I'll just share with you some experience, two experiences that I have. On Wednesday, October 19th, between 11 a.m. and 12.50 p.m., one hour, 675 cars passed through the intersection of Broadway and Embarcadero compared to 65 bikes. The 
current reality at the intersection. That is our current reality. This is not a lot of bikes. This is a lot of cars. On Sunday, October 23, between 12.30 p.m. and 1 o'clock p.m., just one half hour, 271 cars to 40 bikes went through this current, uh, went through that intersection. Again, not a lot of bikes and a lot of cars. We need accessibility. Cars need accessibility to this area of, of uh, San Francisco. Uh, people coming from the bridge use it to get to the Golden Gate Bridge. They use it to get to all, all different kinds of spots in the city, including the Presidio. It's just not a Pier 39 uh, uh, situation. Um, I believe that we need to have more accessibility to cars um, so that people can have freedom of movement. People need to have their freedom to choose the transportation that they want to have. And rather than um, feed access to a small group of people, we need to address the people who are actually using the most um, transportation choices, which are autos at the moment. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Opening the next line. Good evening, President Adams, Vice President Brandon, esteemed commissioners, Director Forbes, and port staff. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. My name is Randall Scott, and I'm the executive director of the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District, representing over 400 properties and businesses, generally speaking, from Bay Street North to the waterfront. The city and county of San Francisco's largest industry and source of revenue is tourism. Fisherman's Wharf hosts about 65% of those tourists, making us the number one tourist destination in one of the top tourist cities in the world. The vast majority of these tourists arrive here via car. That's just the nature of our market. Taking away 50% of the vehicular lanes on the Embarcadero that lead to the number one revenue producing district to accommodate alternative modes of transportation is short-sighted and ignores common sense. Yes, it is important to the, for the wharf to be accessible to the locals and as part of the fabric of San Francisco. But let's face it, tourism pays the bills. We can't lose sight of that. Vice President Brandon, at the last hearing that this came up before you, best said it when she said, People in the cars have rights too and need to be represented as well. We ask you to direct SFMTA to continue to put forth plans that only have the two existing northbound lanes. And by the way, customers for the newly proposed retail fish sales will be arriving by car. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Opening the next line. Hi, Commissioners. This is Paul Miller, Vice President of Operations for Boudin Bakery. Ah. Uh, um, last year... Excuse Hello? me. Sorry, go ahead, Paul. Last year, the SFMTA proposed taking away one lane of northbound traffic to create the two bike lanes. While we opposed that, we understood the necessity for the bike lanes for the safety of bike riders and easing up the traffic on the promenade. Now they're coming back and they're suggesting to take one more northbound lane away so we only have one northbound lane. This is unacceptable to us even on a trial basis. The Broadway field test of having two left turn lanes 
has been tried for 15 years when we had two left turn lanes and two northbound lanes. If you were driving northbound on the Embarcadero on the left-hand lane, you automatically got stuck in the right left turn lane. Most people didn't intend to be there, so they would merge into the left northbound lane, which caused a traffic jam at the Broadway intersection. But back then, we still had the right northbound lane where traffic can get through. So if they put in two left turn lanes now, the same situation is going to happen. People are coming up the Embarcadero in the left northbound lane are going to get stuck in that right left turn lane, and they're going to merge into what now will be only one northbound lane. So that is going to completely clog the traffic at the Broadway intersection, and traffic will not get through, period. Every time we've tested having one lane northbound on the Embarcadero for America's Cup, for construction, for ship loading, it's a traffic jam, and I think you've all been through it. Even as of yesterday, I came down 280, got onto the Embarcadero at 1030 in the morning, and traffic stopped at the ferry building. I thought, well, it always stops here. I'll get through this in a couple minutes. Well, it did not ease up. And they were, there was a cruise ship at Pier 23 they were loading, and they, they blocked off about 50 feet the right-hand northbound lane at Pier 23. There were police there directing traffic. It was very well controlled. It took 55 minutes to get from the ferry building past Pier 23 yesterday. And that was with one lane open, police control there, so they were getting people through. It still took the better part of an hour because one lane was closed. We recommend that we do not ever have one northbound lane. The Embarcadero has way too much traffic that one lane will support the traffic to the northern waterfront. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have four more callers. I will unmute the next line. Good evening, Executive Director Forbes, President Adams, Vice President Brandon, and Commissioners. This is Taylor Safford, President and CEO of Pier 39. As you consider how best to reconfigure the Embarcadero to accommodate the protected bike lane, I'd like to share the following information with you. At Pier 39, the port's largest and busiest attraction, 50% of the 6.5 million people who came to the property in the past 12 months arrived by car. These 6.5 million guests represent just 54% of our pre-COVID visitation. So obviously we have a long way to go before we fully recover. Pier 39 and its 100 tenants continue to struggle from the devastation of the pandemic. The Embarcadero is the major artery for visitors driving up from the airport using peninsula freeways or the Bay Bridge to get to the northern waterfront. Any traffic test that you undertake before the wharf is again hosting its pre-COVID 16 million visitors a year is going to significantly understate what the long-term impacts will be to businesses in the northern waterfront. Please carefully consider what the downstream impact of removing one lane from the Barcadero will have on the hundreds of businesses in the wharf, the tens of thousands of employees who work there, and the many millions of visitors who come to the wharf every year. Commissioners, my ask of you is this. First, please consider holding off any further lane changes on the Embarcadero until the northern waterfront's visitation has fully recovered. Second, please require that Muni reestablish 100% of its pre-COVID bus and rail service to the wharf as a precondition of any further roadway changes. 
Third, please investigate and preferably quantify what the economic impact will be on the northern waterfront from eliminating one of the two northbound lanes on the Embarcadero before you make any final decision. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Opening the next line. Good evening, everyone, and thank you very much for allowing us to, to uh, have public comment this evening. My name is Ray Connolly. I own a business in Fisherman's Wharf along with another business across town and I'm also a property owner. And I think we need to pause here for a second with this study because of the fact that with the magnitude of individuals that drive to Fisherman's Wharf, they access the city through the bridges and all the major freeways. And if they were to hit the Embarcadero and sit in traffic for an hour to get to the pier or to get into the wharf, that adds a high level of frustration to those families that are trying to have a nice day of enjoyment. So not only are you reducing the access to the pier and to the wharf, but you're adding individual frustration when they sit in traffic. So where, how does that impact the businesses, the impression of those individuals when they're, frustration, when they're frustrated? That takes away the amount of time that they have allocated to spend visiting the restaurant, touring around the pier, walking around the wharf. And with, if they've got limited time, that means that they're going to limit the time that they spend in restaurants it's going to limit the time they have going shopping. And by, if they don't have a lot of time, they're not going to spend a lot of money. Then they're going to leave and they're going to say, we're not coming back here because it's too hard to get to the port. It's too hard to get to the pier. It's too hard to get into the heart of fishermen's work. I think you need to really reevaluate this study. And during the evaluation portion of the presentation, I heard a lot about the accessibility, but there was no study of the access and how it impacts the individuals that are actually going to try and get there. So Thank I think you. you might want to take another layer of this evaluation and think about the individual's frustrations when they're sitting in, you know, deadlock, traffic. So. I ask that you pause this evaluation through the summer. There are a lot of businesses that are still coping, trying to rebuild their businesses after COVID. You know, the, the mass transportation, it's not back up to 100%. There's a lot of frustration, and this is only going to add more. And so if we want our crowd, crown jewel to be the leader for other ports across the country, this isn't going to help it. So thank you and okay. have a nice evening. Thank you. You too. Next speaker. I'm meeting the next line. Good evening, Port Commissioners and President Adams. My name is Steve Abrams. Uh, by way of background, I'm a licensed traffic engineer with over 20 years, seven years experience. 
Based on my review of this proposal, I'd strongly recommend that further study be conducted on the significant economic impacts that would result from reducing the northbound Embarcadero to only one lane. And this evaluation should be included in the SFMTA's future evaluations also. The current proposal seems to ignore the Embarcadero's critical role in the economic vitality of the northern waterfront in its unique location along the perimeter of the city. There are now state and city policies related to climate change that strongly discourage the expansion of roadways. So if this is reduced, uh, you know, the central Embarcadero is a unique corridor, but the likelihood of a lane ever being restored after this field test is highly questionable. The temporary field test to eliminate a northbound lane will officially limit and or cap the number of visitors that can reach the northern waterfront on a daily basis, and it could become permanent. This would be forecast to result in a reduction in the number of inbound visitors during peak times of about 750 people per hour, which could then equate over the four-hour uh, peak period of a reduction of over 3,000 people per day getting to the wharf to, you know, spend their money. A substantial portion of these people are visitors who simply aren't capable of riding a bike to visit the northern waterfront. And uh, there are alternatives uh, to removing a northbound lane to make room for the protected bikeway, which everyone agrees is a good idea. But the other alternatives, you know, they're entirely feasible. The main problem is they would just be more expensive, so they'd like to just take out a lane. <coughs> Recent traffic signal timings at the ferry building pedestrian crossing have essentially created the large queues you now see every morning extending back over a half mile on a regular basis. Uh, our analysis indicates this major traffic congestion was intentionally created by simply reducing the amount of green time available for northbound traffic at the Embarcadero crossing at the ferry building. So now the peak queues regularly back up all the way down to underneath the Bay Bridge. So you'll have to decide for yourself, but as a traffic engineer, it's painfully clear to me that these changes were quietly implemented to constrain traffic as part of the efforts to justify changing the Embarcadero to a one-lane road for the bikeway. Um, businesses in the wharf are struggling to recover from the pandemic, and they are rightfully concerned about the elimination of a northbound traffic lane that could be a 50% reduction in traffic coming during peak periods. Uh, basically, it could become possibly permanent with the proposal to take the lane, and we strongly encourage you to research this further before making any decisions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Okay, we have three more callers. Okay, let's take them. Hello, good evening, President Adams and commissioners. My name is Pina Deleon Cacao. I'm the property manager for the Wax Museum building located at 145 Jefferson in the heart of Fisherman's Wharf. The visitors for Fisherman's Wharf still have not reached pre-COVID numbers. We have very minimal out-of-state and international visitors. Our current Fisherman's Wharf visitors consist of Bay Area families driving to the wharf. The families visiting the wharf are from the surrounding Bay Area communities, including Sacramento, Alameda, Marin, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Santa Cruz. And these neighboring communities, visitors, are driving to Fisherman's Wharf with their families. They're not riding their bicycles from their home to the wharf. The Embarcadero traffic leading to and from Fisherman's Wharf has always been besieged with traffic. 
Removing the one southbound lane to create a bike lane has already added to the enormous traffic on Embarcadero. With the proposed removal of one northbound lane to create another bike lane will only exacerbate the traffic on Embarcadero, especially on weekends, holidays, and during the summer season. The Embarcadero is the only major north-south vehicle thoroughfare for visitors to the wharf. Closing any current lanes on Embarcadero will only make the traffic worse than ever. I urge you to please not allow this to happen. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Opening the next line. Hi, my name is Tom Chow and we represent the Crepe Cafe. Uh, we have two stores in the northern waterfront. And I don't think there's much that I can bring up that haven't been brought up by the previous callers already. Uh, but there was one couple of things. Uh, one uh, is economic impact. In addition to the impact on the merchants, there's also an adverse impact for the city. It's a loss-loss situation, both for the merchant as well as for the city. And secondly, but the visitors uh, what, that we, we see that come in now are primarily from the local Bay Area. Uh, but people, visitors who fly in internationally and out of state also need to use the Embarcadero because they fly into the airport. So when they start coming in, uh, it's even going to be, the situation is even going to be worse. Uh, you know, I, my personal experience is that commuting and, uh, to work from the using the Embarcadero is that with not, without any traffic, it only takes 20 minutes. Okay. Free pandemic traffic, about 30 to 35 minutes. And with the clo closing of the left turn lane on Broadway, that added another 10 to 15 minutes. And now you're going to close another northbound lane. I, I, I don't know how much long, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to take forever for me to get to work. Uh, it's very discouraging and also very difficult for us to hire employees. Um, uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Opening the next line. Yes, uh, good evening, uh, commissioners and staff. I want to my name is Brian Hayes, uh, San Francisco, uh, born and raised in San Francisco, avid biker here in San Francisco. I'm on the Embarcadero about 300 days a year. And it's a really, a, a, you guys have done a beautiful job um, in the creation of the Embarcadero. And um, I remember when we were, young, when we were younger, you used to go down uh, by, uh, uh, let's just say, by underneath the Bay Bridge, we used to steal hubcaps underneath there. I hate to, I hope they don't come after me, but... Anyway, you guys have done a great job transforming the Embarcadero. But now I am on the Embarcadero. I'm on the Embarcadero about 300 days a year. And I must say, uh, the biking is great. I feel very safe. But I don't, I don't, I think these double bike lanes where they have head-on bikes coming at each other, you know, the forces they had, it could be very dangerous. I, I feel more unsafe because in the bike lane, heading, heading at each other and those forces that, so it's very dangerous. So, uh, but I do see, what I do see on the Barcadero at all different times is traffic jams. You've been in it, 
so we can't deny it. I've been, we're, I'm watching it all the time. In the ferry building, uh, trucks try to pull into the ferry building. They're halfway sticking out, blocking the lane because this guy's not moving as fast as the other guy wanted it to. They create the one-lane situation, and then the traffic is always backed up to the uh, to the Bay Bridge. So I just it's uh, very unfortunate. I can see why the merchants are very upset about this. I would propose as a biker, I feel fine as it is right now. We don't have to do any more for the bikers. The bikers have had enough. They're the kind of, uh, you know, this, this Embarcadero was designed for horse and buggies when it first came in. And so we're just, they're, they're getting too much in the situation. I feel safe. My biking friends feel safe. I think we just leave it like it is. We have to live with the cars. They're not going to go away anytime soon. So leave, leave the two bounds. Uh, northbound lanes, keep, keep them open, keep them going. And I heard the engineer talk earlier. He said, well, if the, the northbound lanes have more time and the Broadway lane has limited time, we'll give the Broadway time, lane more, a little bit more time to get through. Then they'll flush it through. And he also said it's not really a problematic. Well, if it's not problematic, then let's go ahead and uh, not um, make it a problem. I've seen so many times that Barcadillo doesn't go ideally. It goes, it goes as far as the realization of people and, their, and then how they move and how they think, and they don't uh, move and think ideally. So the Embarcadero is a beautiful place to ride your bike, but for, as far as cars, so it's very sad for the car situation. I really, you know, uh, I feel really uh, bad about the cars. They're stuck in uh, traffic jams all the time. So I, I urge to keep those northbound lanes open. Uh, the bikers will be fine. We have a bike lane. If you're worried about congestion, there's another bike lane on the opposite side of the Embarcadero. You can go thank down. You. down uh, thank you. Your time is up. So thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Jenica, do we have anyone else? There are no other members of the public on the phone wishing to make public comment on this item. Thanks, Jenica. You handled that very well. Thank you very much. Uh, public comment is closed. Commissioner Gilman. Thank you, President Adams. Um, Dan and Casey, I have a couple of questions, um, but before I get to those questions, I, um, I just want to, actually, I'll do the questions first, and then I have some observations. I, so, I go meet my daughter. She's back from my office. So, could gentlemen come up, and particularly Casey. Um, so I just want to make sure, first of all, um, you know, we entered this project in my opinion, with three goals in mind, dating back to when you were here a year ago. One was how do we create a protected bike lane? A, because we had bicycle um, fatalities um, along our stretch of Embarcadero. Secondarily, we wanted to get bicycles off the promenade because um, while we had not had any fatalities with them riding on the promenade, we had had collisions between pedestrians and bikes. Yes. And we wanted to create more movement through the corridor. So my understanding is once you do your study, which I will actually be urging that you do um, during different peak times, but that the end result would either be, just because there was, I feel like, some confusion with public comment, it would either be maintaining two turn lanes onto Broadway with one northbound lane to, to Pier 39, or it would, be limit, it would be having one turn lane onto Broadway and two northbound traffic lanes. Which Can is you, what it's like today, correct? Correct. So currently yes. today, right now, we have one lane turning onto Broadway. Yes. And we have two lanes going towards Pier 39. Correct. And we have a protected bike lane. 
Correct. Through the quick build. Yes. Okay, so I just want to baseline that because I think there was some some callers were concerned that it was going to be one lane only, um, and I just wanted to baseline that assumption. Thank you. Is it true that we do not have full muni service to the wharf and to that corridor? That that because several callers stated in public comment that we don't have full muni service right now through the corridor. My understanding is that the 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 shoulders of the F-Line service periods have been uh, truncated somewhat, um, and that I, I believe we are at similar headways, so that the, the, the time between the trains may be slightly longer than it was pre-COVID. Um, I mean, okay. we've had a lot of transit system changes um, over the last two and a half years, um, but I believe it's, it's essentially slightly reduced with you know, slightly shorter period, uh, overall period of time. Okay. <clears throat> um, so with that, I guess the rest I have is um, our observations, and I um, apologize to staff and to the port that um, I, I unfortunately have to, to leave relatively soon. My, my observation is I, I do think we need to, when we do this study, we need to be making our decisions based on data. And yes. I did appreciate um, the observational data of many of the people who called in for public comment. And, and for me as a commissioner, this is in vehicles versus bicycles. We have environmental reasons and other reasons we need to, we do need to be encouraging people, whether they want to take that encouragement or not, to use public transportation, other modes um, of transportation um, overall as a society. Um, but I do think we need to really look at our data and we need to look at how it does have an economic impact on one of the gems of the waterfront. And especially with us promoting fish sales and other things, we're going to be having more and more people travel through that corridor. Um, so I would. I will be making my decision based on data, but I do want to urge the SFMTA for a couple of things. One is um, that we can't change traffic flows through this corridor if we then diminish public transportation services. So I think to me it's coupled with if we're going to make these changes, either what enhancements to public transportation are we going to provide to mitigate for that? Um, and how are we um, going to help protect both our tourist traffic, both um, locally, um, and, and how are we going to help our workers get to work in, in a timely fashion. I think that's incredibly important. My other observation is that with the protected bike lanes and the signage, that there appears to be less bicycles and electronic scooters on the promenade, which I think is an important aspect for us, and I appreciate that. Um, I would like us to maybe look at some of the, for the bi protected bike lanes, some of the mitigations around um, traffic stopping that we see on the Valencia Street corridor. I've not noticed any little, I don't know what you call them, but on the Valencia Street corridor, the bike lane has its own little signals for stopping and going. I have seen still a lot of running of lights and running through intersections to hit pedestrians while they're crossing. So I just wanted to offer you that observation you. as well. And while it's said in your report that there is absolutely been a detriment to turning onto Broadway, um, I just want to note and that we received no phone calls today from public comment of people concerned about the turn onto Broadway. Um, you can turn onto Front Street, you can turn at Bay Street. There are many other ways that vehicles can get to North Beach and Chinatown. Um, and I would hope that we would check in with those merchants too to see if they've seen a difference with the one with the one lane because we've heard really loud and clearly from our merchants and our constituents that. Um, diminishing the northbound lane to Fisherman's Wharf 
um, is a high concern for them. So I just think we need to really take public feedback seriously along with data before we make this decision. And I want to assure the public this is an informational item. We're taking no action today. Um, um, and um, Dan, I would really love to see if, if we end up with a protected bike lane. I think the signage is great. We just need so much more of it. And I know the geofencing is, not, is out of our hands. It's a Board of Supervisors SFMTA issue. Um, but um, I also don't know if there's a way that we could paint or look at maybe similar to the way it is sort of on the marina green, having like a little stripe for bicycles to ride with families. I don't want to discourage recreation on the waterfront, but it, it's just, especially around the ferry building in particular, such congestion of bicycles and people, particularly on the weekend. So I'd hope we could look at some other ways to mitigate that as well. We can continue to look at all those ideas. So thank you very much for those observations. That concludes my observations and my questions. Thank you, Commissioner Gilman. Commissioner Lee. <clears throat> well, you know, I'm not a fan of SFMTA when it comes to supporting small business. And to listen to all the Pier 39 merchants and the northern merchants, I kind of feel for them because uh, unfortunately happened to a number of my businesses in the past too where SFMTA took away parking meters and stuff to put express lanes without having um, com you know, any kind of feedback from the merchants. And you know, for me to make any further improvements, so-called improvements, to expand further than what's happening right now, I'm all about like, let's fix the problems that we have you know, before we overexpand. Because as they say, when, when there was uh, coming down, I use, I use the embark there a lot coming from Soma and there was a, uh, some maintenance being done in front of the ferry building. They blocked off one street. We were stuck there for at least 45 minutes and we couldn't get out or if, or if you're in the wrong lane, you couldn't even turn left to get out. So we were stuck. So I understand the, the situation for those um, people up there on the north side. Um, as I'm coming here and I was late because I, the lights are all, you know, I must have hit every red light coming here. At the same time, I see so many bikes still using the sidewalk on the prominent. Nobody's using the bike lanes, and so we spent so much money on it. And I'm looking, I see the beautiful sign, that's great, but it's kind of high up there. I don't know if there's a height situation where you have to bring it down where they can see it. Also, I saw on your scooters, it says, don't ride on the sidewalk. Well, why don't you put on there? You ride on the sidewalk, you're going to get fined $500. These are the little things that need to be fixed before you can expand further. I mean, not just knocking out a lane, but how about like uh, Commissioner Gilmer said, there's gotta be some kind of pedestrian zone on the promenade saying that, hey, at least don't ride your bike in this area and let the pedestrian with their little kids walk by. I don't know how many times I've seen near collisions with little kids because they weren't looking or they, or they, they ran away from their mom and they're running right in front of somebody with a bike. Regardless if you're going one mile an hour or two, you know, a bike's gonna hit a little kid, he's gonna get hurt. So any, any for me anyway, you know, unless SFMTA has more passion for us small business, I'm not gonna vote for anything that's gonna go beyond that, especially if we have issues right now that we can't take care of, of all the stuff that we, you know, that's been spent on. And so, I mean, unless, you know, something new comes up, I mean, I got a, a, a bunch of things I, 
you know, like your evaluations. You know, tourist season traditionally is usually June, July, August, and then it dies after Labor Day when everybody goes back to school. Why are we doing, why are we doing evaluations in September when it's going to be low? We should be, especially up in the northern side, there's a lot of foot traffic there. So future valuation should be changed to more when the tourists, especially now we don't get any international tourists. You know, um, I just got back from Las Vegas. They're not getting any. You know, we're going to take at least a couple more years for recovery. And, we're, and, and we only got the locals to participate. Um, I don't know if you guys know that I'm a, kind of a muscle car cruising kind of guy. We used to cruise Fisherman's Wharf along the Embarcadero going all the way, and we used to stay at Pier 23 and have lunch. Or I would park my car <laughs> just to have people take pictures of my car in front of the fishing boats. But when you guys put the Muni line in there, I couldn't park there anymore. But it was okay. Traffic was still flowing. So now you're talking about taking another lane of traffic out. So I don't know. I mean, you guys have to do more for the small business in this town and be a little bit more sensible. I mean, I hate to say if you have to call a town hall, you know, with these people, you're not going to get much results from that. But I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable of uh, anything new unless we fix what you got now. That's my comment. Thanks, Commissioner Lee. Vice President Brandon. Thank you both for the report. And... Um, from the public comment, it, it seems like we still have work to do. I think, and and I think, when when I when I heard we were doing a study, I didn't know we were just studying peak hours. And so, I, for me, it's you know, why are we going to make this change for two hours per day versus the other 22 hours when we need more flow going to the northern waterfront? I mean, next year we're going to have record cruise calls. There's going to be so much traffic along the northern waterfront, and to just have one lane, and and you know, the the tenants from Fisherman's Wharf, from Pier 39, we have to do all we can to help them recover and get through this period. And I just I I don't know if it's the right or wrong thing to do. I think the timing is off right now. And I think we just need to do more outreach. We need to have more conversations with those that are going to be impacted. And I think that was a great idea to do an economic impact report to see how all of those businesses around, along the northern waterfront will be affected by this one little change. If, if I may. Um, so I think, uh, one, uh, I. In terms of the, the outreach to merchants uh, and considering Fisherman's Wharf and Pier 39, I mean, I've, I've been having conversations for eight years. I take all of those very seriously. I, I've talked with numerous callers who've called in today. Um, and I really take, you know, there's clearly a lot of emotion behind the last couple of years. Uh, and we take that very seriously, which is why we uh, moved ahead, you know, and listened to them last year with uh, moving forward with their recommended to northbound lane design. Um, I think it's when you mentioned the cruise calls, you know, so one, th this change that we're proposing to test, right, I think actually echoes, it, it, it's about tactic. Um, I actually agree with a lot of those callers. We do need to be doing more study, particularly at, at Broadway to understand the impacts. 
we're just, you know, uh, in our in our desk jockeys, you know, with our with our white hats, unless we test it out in real time. And what we're proposing is to do it at the you know the least costly time of the year, as it ramps up towards April, which is a, a heavy cruise call time for the Embarcadero. So before the peak of the season, we think we can understand is does this have any legs or not? And if it doesn't, if we see you know significant impacts, we can kind of put a we can close the book on this idea. But the reason why we think it's important is actually not a bike vehicle uh, debate, right? The, this proposal is actually meant to move more vehicles through the intersection to just make it easier for everybody. And I think to one of the caller's points, when you do have a cruise call in and Pier 23 is backed up, one of the you know one possible way to get around that is get off the corridor and take Sansom and get around that, that congestion. So the idea of offering up choice, the idea of giving people options, is that that's why we're here today to talk about the plan, the test, and, and to come back with more data later on and understand those impacts in real time. So I, I just wanna, you know, I, I really take but those comments to it, heart. But if you do it in an off season, you're not taking the real impacts real time. Because you're not seeing how the corridor will really be affected if there is heavy traffic. It, uh, well, I think April is a good month to understand. If it's really close to actually to August, September travel time. So, I mean, you know, there's definitely a rhythm to the, the calendar year, and April is actually a pretty good month to test. Um, that's based on data that we have. We know that, you know, the trips that are taking along the corridor. But we do want, you know, we want to implement it. We want to get people adjusted to it, and we want to do that have least harm on businesses. So we think doing that early in the year, leading up to a, a spring evaluation, it, it's just a way to test it, to understand the impacts and to address a lot of the questions and concerns uh, that, that a lot of the callers had. And I, you know, we, we do do a lot of outreach to other stakeholders that are off the waterfront in Chinatown, North Beach, Telegraph Hill. We have heard complaints from, from some of those uh, residents and constituents. So. You know, as we're trying to look at what's an equitable solution across the city, we think this is a valuable test, but by no means are we, um, we, we, we hear a lot of the, the, the emotion and the, and the concerns and the skepticism uh, that we've heard for, frankly, a number of years. We just think this is a way to, you know, everyone can see the same thing. We're not, we're not just based, based on emotion. It's not, it's based on data and it's based on you know, ongoing conversations with those people as well as with the but, commission. But during those eight years, have you done an economic impact report? I, I, I mean, most economic impact studies around complete streets and safer streets actually point to increased sales for food establishments. I mean, you know, I think it's it's really difficult to scope that study given the nuances of what we're talking about. I mean, we're very much, you know, we're not talking about uh, creating a whole new district or a whole new road or a a trail that doesn't exist, right? So we, it's very difficult for us to go no, and do a study. You're talking about deleting with, it. You're, you're talking about deleting access. I'm sorry? You're, you're talking about deleting access to those points. I, I think what we're saying is that we think we're not, we're going to improve access overall. And if we're wrong, we'll know that right <coughs> away. And, and the best, the only way we're going to know that is through real-time testing. Go ahead, Commissioner. I just want to add, like, to your point of, about what you just said, um, and, and I, you know, I'm just extrapolating here. I'm not a big driver along that stretch because I live near it, so I can walk there. If you don't have, so other parts of the, our freeway system, there's a sign that says 
25 minutes to the Bay Bridge, 15 minutes here, or use this alternative route. I, I just really want to caution you. I, I think sometimes we give people more, if not to be um, negative, we give people more credit. If you're a San Franciscan, I know I can turn on the Samson Street, or I know I can exit, I can exit third, take that through, turns into Kearney, I'm in Chinatown, boom. But if we don't have signage, if we don't have wait times, if we don't have more electronic displays, folks coming in from Napa do not understand that. Their childhood dreams is that their parents drove them along the Embarcadero, and that's how you get to Pier 39. So I just do want to caution us that when we're going to do these studies, if we're not going to make other improvements of signage, wayfaring, muni service, et cetera, the impact is just going to be detrimental. So I really want to encourage that we give people more choice, but we have to educate them and provide the tools the way we tell people when parking lots are filled. Yes. We can tell people that. We can tell them to turn on the Samson, turn on the front, turn on here, et cetera, to get where they need to go. Because Google's not going to tell me that. Right. And we have prioritized uh, one of those real-time message signs as part of the capital project. So that that's feedback that we've heard pr prior and have incorporated into uh, the larger capital project. Re regardless of what, what happens at Broadway design-wise, that will be part of the larger capital project. Go ahead. Um, I was want to, uh, Commissioner um, <laughs> Brandon's um, thoughts about economic impact studies. So when the, when the, when Scott Weiner ordered one for the nightclub industry, and everybody thought we were underground and illegal, and they found out with the economic impact study that the nightlife business brought eight billion dollars to the economy. So it wasn't that we we're creating a district. It was an understanding that how much, how much a district like Fisherman's Wharf brings to this community. And if you cut off its leg, at least one of them, how much will we lose? I mean, it's a data that's very important. So I'm very, you know, I'm very supportive of this kind of study. Not that we're creating a district, but at least what the economic impact is. And it's a trickle-down effect because if they can't pay, look at how much rent we've been we've been giving away. I mean, every, every meeting since I've been here, we've been giving millions of dollars away because of COVID. And now we're gonna give millions of dollars away because they can't pay their rent. I mean, we should be helping them, not, not, not being negative and, and cutting off their legs. So I think more study needs to be done. I think public safety is number one for me. I don't want people to get hurt, but I want the bicycles and scooters to live together. We already built something that's there. Let's get the, let's go zero vision on the sidewalk. You want to go zero vision on everything else? Get the zero vision on the sidewalk. And then, and then I, I'll support anything you guys have. But for now, I can't support anything right now, especially if my, my brothers and small business up in the north side are, are already, they're barely coming back. And we're working very hard to get to be there. So I'm done. Thank you. You got anything else? Yeah, so I'm just wondering, so for today, I know this is an informational presentation, but what are you looking for from us, or do you need anything from us to do whatever your next step is? I think I can respond to that. So the, the key question, um, and this is for Commissioner Lee is, as well, is are cars backing up because they should be turning on Broadway and instead going down and creating traffic northbound on the Embarcadero or not. 
I mean, that is really the question the SFMTA is trying to ask. If a thoroughfare that way will keep more tra traffic off the Embarcadero. Um, that's what the study is involved with. So per our prior conversation about the quick build, we were to come back with data after the signs were installed. Uh, we have a lot of signage, actually, and we got pretty good data about folks getting off of the Embarcadero, Embarcadero Promenade into the protected bike lane. And then we were going to move forward on the study the study to move to two Broadway turns, one uh, northbound uh, lane, different from what it is today, two northbound lanes, one turn onto Broadway. SFMTA designed it on not on peak season to see if there were impacts off peak season. That would be very strong indicator that it was the wrong move. And they have agreed to pull back the study if we see bad impacts. I agree with Vice President Brandon completely that there is upset and conversation that needs to happen. I'm concerned about the small businesses. I'm concerned about our wharf. As you know, a major part of our economic strategy is to return the wharf to well-being. But I also want the traffic to flow in the best way possible. And that's what I think we're all looking for here. Um, so based on what I heard tonight, um, you know, I think, let me see if there's any recommendation from the floor. I, I would say that um, we should continue talking with uh, our constituents at Pier 39 and the Wharf. I know the director of the SFMT really wants to try this study and see what's best for traffic flow. Um, I think we should have conversations and come back again when the time is right. I do think that one thing I've asked be studied is the signalization. So signalization does appear to be a traffic causer along the Embarcadero. Um, so I know that the traffic engineers are looking at that. So what I would suggest is that we come back again after we've had a couple more, com more conversation and are prepared to make a recommendation. It may not be popular to ever study this, even though the data may show that the traffic engineers are definitely onto something here. So we may have a challenge, and I would urge the commission and our team to get folks comfortable with the idea of testing, right? Um, so, but I agree, I don't think we're here tonight. I think there are major concerns from constituents and very important in our portfolio. And so that would be my suggested next step. And then regarding the, the promenade and the scooters and the bikes, was there something on that? Well, we, we could have a policy change to recommend to you, which is to to uh, treat our Embarcadero Promenade more like a city sidewalk than an, a multi-use path. At this point, staff and I do not recommend that. We think there's been a lot of diversion from the promenade into the bike facility. Uh, we think the signage is beginning to work, and the SFMDA has magically made scooters not work on the promenade. So that has been like an immediate positive change. I think we want to continue to look at this. At this point, we would not make an enforcement recommendation related to bicycles on the Embarcadero Promenade. Is that a summary? Yes. So, so we're... And so when, when will you make the decision, Mark? Well, if we, continue, if we continue to see good diversion and good harmony between the, the walkers and the bikes, we will recommend that it stays status quo. Um, that will be your decision, and we'll uh, talk about the various policy trade-offs. I mean, this is, we want harmony between the, the, the walkers and the cyclists, and this way appears to have gotten much more harmony for us, and we also want cyclists who are with small children, who are going very slow, who are really visiting bicycling, but in a promenade-type speed, 
to be able to still enjoy the promenade um, at this point. So that's where we are. We'll continue to monitor. Um, but at this point, we would not recommend further changes. Okay. Anybody else? Because I haven't spoke yet. Thank, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, Your turn. Casey and Dan. Um, man, wow. This is a, as a person that's down on the Embarcadero every day, I, I, I agree with uh, Commissioner Lee. I have not, not all the time, but some of those bicyclists and some of those scooters are flying by. And I've almost been hit, right? It's, it's, they're kind of all out down there. So sometimes you get some maniacs down there. I'm serious, and uh, there's got to be some kind of, you know, they've got to, because you got small kids and stuff like that down there, and I haven't seen anybody get ran over, but I know Senator Burton almost got ran over down there. And you got a lot of mixture of people, so, I mean, there's got to be rules. If there's rules for walkers and runners, they got to be rules, for my opinion, for the bicycles and the scooters. Now on this other issue here. You know, uh, this is a situation that we can't rush to judgment. I, I was listening today, and just from what I heard from the commission, sometimes it's just better to listen than to talk. I don't think we're there. I, I don't think the commission is, is there right now. I don't think they're convinced. I, a couple of questions, because uh, uh, Vice President Brandon asked about why are we doing it at a certain time. And sometimes people have a, a thought pattern that they think that's right, right? And... Maybe we have to do more than one test a year. Maybe we have to do two or three tests a year at different times and compare them. Right? You might do one there, but you might have to do one in the middle. I think sometimes you got to do more than one. That's that's my thought. And this 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 is a painful conversation. Now, I did hear the the one guy at the end, the bicyclist, who thought, "Don't change anything." Mm -hmm. So there's a mixture, and it kind of reminded me when we. Uh, decided to put the shelter, homeless shelter, down on the Embarcadero. That was like an eight-hour pork commission meeting. And it was a very, very heated, but I like this because this commission is built to last, and uh, this commission can handle that type of criticism, and whatever we do, somebody's not going to be happy. That's just life, and sometimes leadership is making, making those decisions and, and living with those decisions. I'd like to have more conversation, more to come back to this commission. Um, and I don't think we have to to rush. Um, I want those people, some of those I want to call, to feel comfortable, and and, and we have more dialogue. And I want to hear more from from you. I I appreciate what you're doing. Don't 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 get me wrong, because you're in a bad situation. Uh, but uh, I like to know what's best. And and one thing we also have to look at. It may take years for us. To, we need to be realistic. For us, we may never get back to what we used to be as far as tourism, right? It can happen, right? You, you see right now over in China, they're talking about Shanghai might not even open back up to tourists to 2025. The world has changed as we know it. And you know what? We remember the good old days of San Francisco, but this city has changed a lot. And sometimes you never go back. It's like an athlete. You don't sometimes go back to where you were when you're prime. When you get older, you remember He'll say, oh, yeah, I remember Steph and when he was willing to do it. But one day he'll be 45 or 50. He ain't going to be the same guy as he is now. <laughs> he's still going to be great, though. Well, he's still going to be great. <laughs> but what I'm saying is what, what we're trying to do, right, because. 46 uh, points last night. Yeah, I know. I know. But he's good now, right? But, but the day comes, right? And so I think there's a lot of more uh, things that we have to talk about. 
we're talking about doing a hotel down on the waterfront, yep. right? Yep. That's and entertainment and stuff like that. We haven't we haven't talked about that. Yeah. We're talking about a hotel down there. Mm. Um, right? More fish more market. Fish, fish market. market. We're, we know we're talking more things. And so I think it's more uh, there might be a possibility that we might also even have cruises not only down here, Pier Twenty Seven, but over there at uh, Pier Eighty too. Right? I mean, so it's it's a lot as we're doing. And when we talk about water taxis and, and ferries and stuff like this. This is all a part of transportation because what I thought we had always said, and I know Commissioner Wu used to always say that, I thought we wanted to make the Embarcadero as seamless as possible so people could flow in and out. And we're encouraging more people to take water taxis, you know, and ferries. 20% of the people that go to the Giants game come by ferry. How do we get it where it's not such an artery, it's so clogged up down there and, and things like that? And, and we got to look at that. but. I agree with Vice President Brandon that I'd like two, maybe two studies uh, at different times to compare them, right? What's best? Because I know that's, that's what you're trying to do, right? And everything. And uh, I would like to safe on that because I would hate to see somebody get ran over on the promenade down there by a scooter because some people are just down there and we got a mixture of people in the city. We got a lot of homes. We got a mixture of everybody down there now. It's crazy, right? I mean, it's just, you know. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. But I want to I want to thank you both, and I appreciate your efforts, and I know we'll get there. But uh, this is some painful conversations, and it, it's going to take a while. My favorite song is by uh, Michael McDonald. He says, what a fool believes he sees, but a wise man has the power to reason away. And I think we'll, we'll get there. So thank you. Thank you. Carl, next item, please. Item 16 is new business. I reported two items of new business, Mr. President. One, um, to come back on the services provided to homeless individuals on the median related to the transit shelters uh, that Commissioner Gilman asked for through the Department of Homelessness and the SFMTA. And the other item, of course, is to return on the Broadway turn and the quick build project. And that concludes the new business I've recorded. I'll move to adjourn. Okay, before we do that, I just want to say to everyone in the back, thank you to the staff, everyone that stayed. This has been a long day. You know, we're, we're doing our job. We're doing our due diligence. I really appreciate it. I know you all have families. you got to get home. Thank you for being patient with this commission, and, and thank you for staying to the end and supporting our director and everybody. So thank you.